Football season will be here quicker than you think. When planning your football trips, we know that one of the biggest pains is arranging your pregame tailgate party. This season, let gridirontailgates.com take care of all of your tailgating needs. They provide everything for your large private party, including a private party tent, tables, satellite TV, catering, a personal bartender, and setup and takedown. Visit gridirontailgates.com and enter promo code PAC12, P-A-C-1-2, to receive 10% off your group's next tailgate or call 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com are here to make your tailgate experience easy, affordable, and enjoyable. Again, that phone number is 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com. Enter code PAC12. Now available in more homes than the PAC12 network, we are the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the podcast of champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions covering Pac-12 football. Going into, I think, our fourth season doing this, and we're going through our previews. we got the Bay Area schools today, of course, Cal and Stanford. If you have any questions or comments... You want to ask us, you want to talk about what we say on the show, why why we're dumb, why something is stupid, you can email us, pac12podcast at gmail.com. If you want to tweet us, we like to do the Twitter thing, at pac12podcast, our website, where all our old episodes are, pac12podcast.com, and our voice line or text line, 424-532-0678. We got a couple voicemails today. David, I'm excited about this show, talking some Bay Area schools. We're, we're going from the south to the north. You've called me David twice now, I think. Is that Should I not do that? What no, do no, mean? it's just, that's that's a new thing. That's interesting. I like it. Let's go with it. Okay. <laughs> I'm Dave, in. Dave, David, yeah. I don't know. Just whatever. It, no, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I love it. Um, we are covering the Bay Area today. We've got Cal up top. We've got Stanford a little bit later. We're talking right now. To Shannon Carroll, uh, covering Cal for BearTerritory.net for 24-7 Sports. Shannon, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you guys? Can't complain. Yeah. Can't complain. R- Ryan maybe could. I can't. <laughs> oh, man, I was, at the, uh, I was at the beach this weekend. I like, can't complain about that. Come on. No, no. Hey, so you guys aren't in the Inferno then? No. No, we, it's been really nice out here. I was up at camp today and started in the 60s, kind of mid-70s, low 80s right now. So so it's pretty nice down here. It's it's pretty yeah. hot here. We're up here. L.A. is pretty hot. So it's pretty, okay. it's, yeah, it's a little mi- miserable. My, my wife wants me to bring out the uh, portable AC, which I was trying to avoid, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, but you know what we're going to do, Dave? We got to talk. Justin Wilcox, we got to talk. California Golden Bay. With Shannon, I'm just psyched. I didn't. I'm just psyched. I didn't have to remind you this time for the sound effect. I, I was ready. You reminded me like one time. Come on. Are you kidding me? Um, well, Look, I'm the one carrying the logistics of this operation. Let's just be real. Oh, 
sure. for once, Ryan. Let's just take people behind the curtain. I do all of the planning for this show. You have planned. And by this show, I mean like this specific episode because I've really never done it before. Right. I've, I'm so impressed that you've like send out emails, like getting stuff organized, getting stuff ready. The most wow. amazing part is I'm actually responding to them too. It's great. Anyway, we're talking to Shannon about a lot of Cal football. Um, obviously, it's uh, Justin Wilcox's second year. Um, your first year covering this for 24-7 sports. Um, so... I'm sure that's an adjustment for you, but we wanted to talk about any um, first. We're kind of leading off with any coaching changes that are on the Bears staff this year. Anybody, any new faces? I know coordinators are the same, head coach the same, but what about anybody else? Yeah, so they have. Um, you know, last year Bo Baldwin had the running backs, and they've instead brought in um, Burl Toller to do that job this year. So he's there with the running backs. Wilcox has been super psyched about the hire, said that basically it was a two minute conversation and then it ended with, hey, if the job, if you want the job, it's yours. Um, So he's been out there working with the running backs. Uh, Wilcox also brought in Peter Sermon um, to do the inside linebackers, which means defensive coordinator Tim DeRoyter is now with the outside linebackers. And then the only other, you know, switch was that Tony Tuiotti is now defensive line after um, Coach As left for UCLA. Okay, so uh, yeah, little little adjustments, but nothing uh, too yeah. major. No. Um, how is how is the new defensive line coach's beard game compared to Jerry? <laughs> um. No beard, no beard, but he's you know you've got him out there sometimes with he's got the bucket hat on at times. So so you know in terms of Cal style, he's really rocking the that which is interesting. That's inter- Dave. Are you, would you ever wear a bucket hat? Um. So are we talking like future tense or are we talking in the past? Have I? No. Like, would you have you any of that? Like, would I never okay. have I? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have something similar. It's kind of like a floppy rim all around. I was telling Shannon before we got you on the air. So USC is practicing at four in the afternoon. The sun is just baking down on you. You're standing in the sun. You can't really move all that much. And it's uh, pretty much right in your face. So I was trying to get some kind of hat that would cover it. I put it on this morning. I'm like, I don't think I could do this. So I'm back to the baseball cap today. There you go. Yeah. Um, okay. Thanks, Shannon, for that. Let's talk about returning starters. So, you know, when there are always, if you look at any of the previews, like this guy, this many on offense, this many on defense, special teams, just kind of in general, maybe offense, defense, special teams, how many guys are coming back, or there's other guys maybe with starting experience that are still on the roster. Yeah, no, they have, you know, a lot of starters, you know, you're still waiting for Wilcox to give the official announcement about quarterback, but it's essentially inevitable that it'll be Ross Bowers again. So he'll be back. Um, essentially, the entire offensive line starters are back. You got all five of those guys. Um, and then kind of running back, Pat Laird is back um, after, you know, a sensational last season, kind of surprising sensational last season. Um, and then you have uh, kind of Enoa and Vic Wharton who are back. Um, so that kind of rounds out the offense. On defense, you have Luke Beckett, um, Alex Funchess started. Cam Good didn't start because he was injured, but he'll be starting this year. Um, then you have a lot of the defensive backs either started or were kind of number two on the depth chart. So you've got 
Cam Bynum back. He'll be a redshirt sophomore. Jalen Hawkins will be a redshirt junior. Um, Evan Rambo had previously played and looks to be a starter after kind of two seasons with injuries. And then special teams, they do have a new kicker, um, and but Wharton will be back as a returner there. So you do. It's a lot of familiar faces in kind of year two under Wilcox, which they seem really excited about. I know um, Bo Baldwin obviously has a great um, track record um, going back to Eastern Washington days, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, do you think the offense is ready to make a leap with kind of all that returning production offensive line at receiver and then getting a returning starter at quarterback and Ross Bowers? Yeah, I think offensive line looks like it's really going to be, a, you know, one of those things for the team that's just going to be huge. I mean, today out in practice, um, one of the running backs went for 60 yards. You're kind of like, wow, that was a nice run. And then all of a sudden a different running back went for 45 yards. And you're thinking, OK, the offensive line is doing something really well in there. They're doing a really good job of opening up those holes. So that should be really exciting. And I think Bowers last year really kind of suffered from consistency and out in practice he's just he's looked like a different quarterback from you know what I even saw during games he's more vocal he's talking to guys he's um moving better in the pocket so it does look like there is going to be some changes I don't know I mean I think even if no one at Cal will say it losing Demetrius Robertson is going to hurt because they're not going to have that, that real deep threat but I think it is an offense that is much more balanced than it was because the last time I was here at Cal was under Sonny Dykes so I just remember when it was basically the entire playbook is we're going to try and score more points and we're not going to worry about running as much. We're not going to establish that ground game and we're not going to have defense. But now it seems like with Laird and with the guys they have and now Bowers, who, who looks like he could be a good quarterback. I'm not saying he's going to be the best quarterback in the Pac-12, um, but he looks a lot better. So I do think that this could be a team that does make strides on offense for sure. And then on the defensive side, any scheme changes you're seeing there? Are they going to kind of go with what they had last year in terms of scheme and that sort of thing? Yeah, so it's pretty much the same thing. They'll, you know, it's the second year in the 3 4. Um, they seem really, I mean, it, it looks like it's a better fit for the Cal defense. Um, and other than that, that's really kind of been the only thing that's different. Nothing real. I mean, it's basically it's the same team as last year, just better. All right. Uh, let's see. So the next one we wanted to talk about is the scheduling points. Um, so if you look at the Cal schedule, I think the only team in the Pac-12 that doesn't have to play on a Friday or Thursday night. So that's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, also skipping Arizona State and Utah, but maybe kind of talk about the schedule, how it uh, lays out for, for the Bears. Yeah, I know. I was looking through, uh, I was writing a story and I was looking through, you know, different players and it was kind of top wide receivers and Pac-12, top running backs and look at all of those. And as I was going through, I was like, oh, Utah. Oh, Cal doesn't face Utah. And that just, you know, I think that'll be nice for Cal. I think, um, I mean, if you look at it, I think Cal can win the first three games, which are UNC, um, which was just announced that they're going to be missing some of their starters because of the shoe suspensions, which was interesting. Um, and then BYU and Idaho State. So I I think those are three games on the schedule where Cal could, you know, pick up wins. Um, and then Oregon comes to Berkeley and Oregon has had kind of a weird history of playing in Berkeley. Um, so I think, you know, that's nice that they get to play the Ducks here at Memorial. Um, and then I think UCLA is also an interesting game just because it's felt like when they've played recently that it's the home team that wins. So getting to play UCLA 
here um, is nice. And then Cal always feels like it's, you know, destined for the one big upset, um, <laughs> which is like they have, you know, even when they weren't doing so well at all, it was like, oh, okay, they're going to have that one game where they're just going to look like they're the best team in the Pac-12. And then the next game, they're going to look like, oh, they deserve to be one and 11. Um but I think, yeah, as a whole, the schedule shapes up pretty nicely for them playing Stanford here, you know, going to Colorado and uh, Oregon State, which, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, those are kind of the teams in the Pac-12 you want to have to play away. Yeah, I think when I was predicting Cal's schedule to that point, I think I I think I predicted them as Washington's lone loss. And then okay. I have them, I think I have them losing to Washington State the next week, which is pretty yeah. much... <laughs> That's probably the story of Cal football um, in, in, in history. Very much, yes. <laughs> if, you're, if you're identifying a trap game on this schedule, um, what do you think that is? I mean, maybe Washington State. I will preface this by saying I'm the world's worst prediction person. My dad's <laughs> sister and I did something, and we're in year two, and it was uh, predicting win-losses in the NFL. And um, I would do it in the first year of the three of us. I was like... 50% because it would be early in the season, you know, game six and the Patriots were unbeaten and they were playing the bills. And it'd be like, I don't know why, but the bills are going to beat the Patriots in new England. I just have this feeling. And I was never right. <laughs> so Year two, I kind of went out about it. I was like, Hey, I'm actually going to be smart about this and maybe allow myself only one crazy outlandish pick a week. And then I won with about 80%. So I got better, but I still have kind of a crappy track re track record of predicting these things. So just take anything I say about that with a little bit of a grain of salt. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I think that maybe it's Washington State just because I never really know what to expect with Mike Leach. And I don't think Cal really does either. Yeah, I think that's fair. David's bad at that yeah. stuff, too. So don't worry about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was very good through the first half of last season. Right. Yes. We're, not, we're not we're not here to talk about the more recent past. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I keep our record up on the on my whiteboard, Shannon, because only because I've been winning. So, like, if it's if if Dave was winning, I probably wouldn't have wrote that stuff down. But I need to remind yeah. him. Um, you know, right now with, with that stuff and the stuff earlier, it's starting to feel like I'm in the middle of a couple's counseling session. Yeah. You know, if you guys have things you need to work out, I am here for you. We like to work it out on air. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, people, these things out. yeah, the fact that we were even doing a show together, like, I don't know, it's all kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> is there any potential impact freshman, you think, coming in from the recruiting class or, you know, maybe even a, a freshman that redshirted last year that'll be, you know, playing for the first time that you feel could come in and make some sort of impact with the team? Yeah, no, being out at camp and just seeing some of the freshmen there have been a good chunk of them who have just looked really awesome. And, you know, I'm not sure, and you can still tell that there's, they've got the athleticism, but they're still kind of trying to figure out everything else. So it'll be interesting to see how in the kind of coming weeks they're able to, to translate that. I think the new red shirt rules will be really interesting because you'll probably see a lot more of those guys just to give them some some game experience. But um, there's an offensive lineman I really like. His name's Will Craig. I actually am sort of partial to him because he went to my high school. Ah, 
there you so, go. There's another guy, a linebacker, Evan Tattersall, who went there as well. So I'm, I feel like as a Granite Bay High School alum, I have to be like, go Grizzlies and, and, and say that they're awesome. But they are. They are. I'm not just saying that they're good because of the high school connection. They actually are there. Uh, Craig has, has gotten, uh, he's got the size and, and he's got good work for an offensive lineman. Then there are kind of two wide receivers who have shown really well. And again, I say during camp and we've had, you know, four days of camp. Um, but Nico Remigio looks like he could be kind of one of the speedier wide receivers for Cal. He, um, I mean, Cal's trying to plug that hole left by Robertson when he went back to Georgia. And so Remigio really brings some speed. Um, and that could be something that the bears really like. Uh, there's another guy who's done well, a wide receiver, Monroe young, again, just made some really nice grabs, seems to have established pretty good chemistry with some of the quarterbacks out there. Um, then there are two young running backs who just are so much fun to watch. Um, Chris Brown and Johnny Adams. They're big, they're powerful. They're just, they're doing it all out there. And Cal's kind of looking for some more depth on the chart at running back. Um, just cause behind Laird last season, it was basically Laird. And then there was like no one else. So they're looking to fill, you know, to get guys in there who can get some extra yards for carry. So Brown and Adams could be guys who you see every once in a while. Then there's a tight end and Cal weirdly is now all of a sudden stacked at tight end. We were talking to Ray Hudson, who's in his sixth year at Cal um, and remembers under Dykes when he was basically the, like the tight end group was just him and the playbook had like one play and every three weeks that say hey we're gonna run that one play with you in it and now cal has nine tight ends on the roster so they've really kind of made that a priority and there's a young guy his name's callan mccastles and i think he has the most fun name in the whole wide world <laughs> um and he just he's a big guy and you even have bo baldwin out there was talking about him yesterday and just had not, I mean, couldn't say nicer things about the young guy. So that would be really interesting. Then there's a cornerback, uh, Chigozi Anusium, who was here for summer um, and looks like he, I mean, he's he's gotten some reps. He doesn't look like he's necessarily going to be, you know, he's not going to be a starter. And he might be a number two guy. Um, and, and he's been fun to watch as well. And then just kind of talking about new guys, Cal did get the two Michigan transfers who have looked awesome so far. Granite Bay High School. Uh, yes. USC's uh, middle linebacker, Cameron Smith. Yes, Cam Smith. It was a year younger than my sister. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah. And Dallas Sartz, too. He was, uh, yeah. he's a coach there now, but he he played linebacker at USC, too. Yep. Yeah, I was always bummed because I was, yeah, I was school newspaper in high school and I got to write the front page story when Cal won the section championship and then the next year they won the state championship. It kind of feels like there's a trend that any team I cover the year after I stop covering them will win something big. So Cal is <laughs> now going to hear this and be like, okay, we need to get her out of here. <laughs> um, so, all right. So when you're looking at fall camp, obviously quarterback battle is all but done. What are the other yeah. position battles that you think need to be solved by the time uh, game time comes around? Yeah, no. And it was funny today. Someone asked about the quarterback battle and Wilcox gave you about the most football-y answer you could possibly have. They're all just competing. You know, we really like the competition and we all just kind of sat there and internally groaned a little bit because you hear those just a few times every practice. 
Um, but I think, as I said, running back uh, last season, they did have the thousand yard rusher and Laird who just, you know, was was awesome out there. But they didn't really have anyone who could take any other snaps and was actually going to be able to do something. So now they have a junior college transfer, Marcel Dancy, um, who's looked really good in practice, Alex Natherda. Then they have Biagio Ali Walsh, who I don't know if you knew this, but is the grandson of Muhammad Ali. And then they have Derek Clark, and Clark had been limited uh, up until today, and then out there today was just, I mean, he's one of the guys who ran for the 60 yards and was just knocking people over. So that, I mean, I think running back depth is a place where they definitely need to improve just because they can't, I mean, they were sort of successful just putting everything on Laird's shoulders last season, but I think for them to really take a step, they're going to have to be able to to have other guys in there who can contribute as well. Um there's the third wide receiver position, which is still kind of up in the air after Roberts. I mean, it wasn't, and I say Robertson's departure, and it's like it wasn't just Robertson because they also lost Tariq Johnson for undisclosed reasons that weren't academic, like weren't, it wasn't anything having to do with conduct. And then there was another guy who, so there was Tariq, there's so many, I'm now like spacing on all of them. <laughs> um, but then, um, other departure for conduct related reasons. And so you have guys who are now trying to, sh and then you had Jordan or VC go to the NFL. So you're looking for kind of that big wide receiver. Um, as I said, one of the mission guys, Mo Ways has looked really good in camp, uh, uh, in camp. Maybe if I could talk, that'd be helpful. Um, and then Jordan Duncan has really worked this off season to establish really good chemistry with Ross Bowers. Um, I mean, they were practicing outside of practice a couple times week and that's actually something that people said about Bowers too. Ray Hudson the tight end was joking that Bowers was texting him so much about hey let's go practice that Hudson was going to put his phone on do not disturb mode <laughs> <laughs> it's like we already practiced once today we're going to practice later today and god we have fa fall camp coming up and you want to go again but that kind of seems like you know Bowers and Duncan could be an interesting connection um and then there's a you've got three really good I really like the linebacking group you've got three guys I think Cam Good is maybe the best player on the defense he's just incredibly athletic um and then Alex Funch is on the other side his Twitter handle is Fruit Snack Killa, which just makes me think he's got to be a really fun guy to be around and I'm really curious to see like is he actually a fruit snack killer? I mean, how many fruit snacks can he eat? Or is he just saying that? You know, these are the important stories that are going through my head during during fall camp. Uh, oh, there's, yeah. <laughs> when you're So for everyone out there, when you're like just constantly standing on the sideline at fall camp or standing outside of practice in some cases, you've got to pass the time somehow. There's, <laughs> there's hypotheticals. There's all kinds of nonsense that goes on when you're talking with the other reporters before yeah. practice. So, yeah. So how many fruit snacks would he be able to actually realistically eat, you know? Um, but then Jordan Kunashik, uh, I mean, has been on media watch lists and whatnot for different awards. So then you've got really kind of two guys who are looking to be that fourth spot and Evan Weaver and Garen Brown. Um, and you know, one day you're like, oh yeah, Garen Brown for sure. And then I talked to him after practice one day, and then I realized that that practice it was the day that Evan Weaver had had a better day. So they seem to be, you know, kind of neck and neck at the moment. And then safety, maybe they're getting, as I said, Evan Rambo back, and he's missed two seasons basically with injury. And today had 
an interception. He uh, forced a fumble. And uh, but then Cal has a returner in Ashton Davis, um, who's probably the fastest guy on the team. He's also had about 12 million stories written about him because he's also a very good hurdler. So I think, as I said, those are kind of like as basically those are the important breakdowns. And I basically talked about every single position. So there's some competition <laughs> everywhere. A lot of competition. <laughs> a lot of competition yeah. there. Shan. Um, what about yeah. the, where would you say the strengths of this team lie? I definitely think offensive line has the potential to be, you know, pretty exceptional. I think they've got um, a lot of, as I said, their whole line is is made of returners. I think Addison Ooms at center is really good. I really like Pat McCarry. Um, Cam Saffel is maybe the best pass blocker among the interior guys. Um, so I think just watching them, uh, I think I think that's going to be a big strength. And I think it's going to be important just because um, Laird had a thousand yards even when the offensive line I think ranked lower in the bottom in terms of holes and gaps opened up. Um, and then Bowers, he didn't get as much pocket protection as he could have. And I think that's when you started to see Bowers get shaky and make some of those dumb throws. Um, and with Cal's season last year, I mean, you make two or three different throws when you give him just a little more time. And the whole season is different. I mean, there were just a couple games where it all hinged. I mean, think of how many close games Cal had and it all kind of hinged on a couple of plays. So I think offensive line um, is definitely going to be an improvement. And I think that could really help change Cal's offense. And I think the defensive backs are another strength. I think um, there's still a pretty young group of guys you've got you know, sophomores, redshirt sophomores, you know, freshmen looking, you know, redshirt freshmen. So you've got a lot of young guys. And I talked to, I think, four of them over the past couple of days. And everyone said that they're just feeling like they've worked on being more mentally prepared. They're understanding schemes better. They're reading offense better. Um, and it's a really fun athletic group of guys. Uh, I think, you know, one area where Wilcox mentioned they do need to improve is on turnovers because last season you had a lot, you know, they had a decent amount of interceptions, but a lot of those came from the linebackers. Um, so I think that they've got the athleticism and the talent to be able to do that. And I think if they can um, and just create a couple more opportunities on the defense, that's, that's a group that again, could be a huge strength for the team. All right. So then when you're assessing weaknesses, it sounds, I mean, it's hard to think of anything on that offense, maybe quarterback being a potential weakness, but um, is it front seven quarterback? Would that be, where do you see the weaknesses? Yeah. I mean, it's maybe quarterback again. I just Bowers, I think he's made progress, but he's also someone who could just regress and make a dumb throw again. Um, I think, you know, I think they have, maybe it's, it's not having that true deep thread. It's not being able to stretch the field as much. Um, and I just, yeah, it's hard. Cause I think that every position, like you watch them and they have the ability to be able to be really good. It's just whether or not they're actually going to be able to take those next steps. I think, you know, yeah, the defensive backs could be a big strength and I think they will be, but all of a sudden if a couple guys go down or, or they just aren't able to, to force turnovers, then it's a whole different story. Um, I think it might come in, <sighs> I hate assessing weaknesses because I always feel like, but what if this actually is different and what if I'm stupid? Um, <laughs> 
which is a great mentality, you know, always staying oh. positive yeah. about things. Good way to um, operate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. But I think it could just be, um, I think really stretching the field is going to be an issue where, where they suffer for sure. Um, any other kind of interesting news notes, tidbits coming, uh, you know, from the, what you've seen in fall camp or maybe late in the summer that other fans on the podcast, you know, from maybe from other, that like some other program would like to hear about. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but it's Justin Wilcox's second year as the head coach at Cal. I heard that. <laughs> Has that been a talking point? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, today at practice, I think, you know, it was five minutes on it's your second year. Talk to us about it. Um, and it is funny. Cause as I said, I was here. Um, I was the sports editor of the daily Cal here when, when Sonny Dykes was around and just, I mean, nice guy didn't fit Cal football at all and never had the most, you know, like overwhelming impression of him. So then I come down and my first thing I cover here is the spring game. And then a couple days after that, Wilcox is hosting a football 101 session, which kind of turned into a two and a half ask coach anything you've ever wanted to know about football. Um, and we'll give you pizza too. And it just, you're talking about things and, and you hear things about how he has breakfast with the players and he sits down with them and someone asks him about it. It's like, it's kind of sad that you guys are actually, it's a story that I take time to, to hang out with the players. Um, but just the difference in what he's brought to this program program, I don't think can be quantified. It just, it feels like everyone on the team, there's, increased enthusiasm and there's energy and you kind of just believe in the program just with what he's doing. So I think that's just been awesome. And I don't know if, if people outside of Cal can really understand that, but Cal has, you know, they've, they've had a couple rough years. (laughs) Great to be a Cal fan. Um, especially when you have Stanford reminding us every year about the, the acts and, and big game and whatnot. Um, so I think that, I think, I'm trying to think if there's anything else interesting happening around Cal. I mean, it just, it feels like this is a program that really is, is going up. And I'm not saying like, Oh, Cal's going to win the PAC 12 North this year. But I think, you know, for sure bowl game, I think, um, and I think people just, there's an increased belief and that's something that Cal fans just haven't had in a while. And I know this cause I would get like angry emails and it's funny to be a Cal fan because I found that there are kind of two types of the Cal fans. There's either the super enthusiastic Cal fan where nothing can go wrong. And if you're at all critical, you're like, they hate you. Or there's the person who thinks everything sucks. And then if you're positive, they reach out and like, why are you so positive? This team isn't so good. At least that's how it was when I was at the daily Cal. And now you're starting to see more of a balance. Like people are, are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel almost. So we also got a few questions from um, one of our uh, longtime listeners, Anthony, and we want to ask you uh, one or two of these. Um, We've been asking this of most everyone. I think we might have missed on one of them. But uh, what do you think is the floor and the ceiling this season for Cal in terms of wins? I'd say floor six and six. As I said, I think Cal wins its first three games. And then I think, you know, getting – four wins after that it it, the schedule does shape up to be um you know pretty pretty beneficial so I think floor I mean I 
it's weird to say like Cal's floor is a bowl game because that just sounds weird to someone <laughs> who's been around Cal. Um, but then I think, you know, they could be the, the ceiling could be kind of an eight and four situation. Oh, it's a, it's a pretty tight window there. So you have a, you have yeah. a pack. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, if you had to pick one, who would be the breakout player for the, the Cal Bears this year? One. Um, I would say probably Cam Good. He wasn't there around last season. And I think just his pure athleticism, I mean, it just, he's one of those players that you just, you know, when he's on the field and you're watching him because you're pretty convinced he's going to do something. Um, so I think he's the guy who could be a huge X factor for the team. And maybe again, Evan Rambo, if he's healthy safety, um, but he hasn't played for two years. So I don't know exactly how healthy he's going to be. Interesting. And you, you, maybe you want to explain to, to, to Dave about big game, like why it's not, why it doesn't have an article. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I actually have zero idea. <laughs> I just, you're around and there's so much lore surrounding big game. And I think, I mean, being at Cal, there was a day when it wasn't even anything to do with Stanford and, you know, football season was over and I was cold and I wore a red scarf on campus and I had four different people chanting at me, take off that red scarf, take off that red scarf, just like they'll do if you're up in the stadium. My dad came for a football game once and I'd come from a business meeting because, yeah, my dad's the kind of guy who will wear business attire to a football game, which is a whole different story. So he's Um, been transported from the 1940s (laughs) to the present day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So I got him, you know, a couple shirts, but his shirt, the, you know, business button down was kind of reddish orange. And I made him go to the student store and buy a different shirt just because, like, it was my worst nightmare to be up in the press box and have the entire stadium chanting at my dad to take off his reddish shirt. So there's just there's a lot of that kind of lore. Um, I had friends talk about the security for the axe. I mean, apparently they have whole systems, and Cal built its fancy new system that it hasn't been able to use because the axe hasn't been here in eight years. <laughs> um, but like they have one person knows the security code and it's surrounded by lasers and no one actually knows what it's surrounded by. And it's only, you know, what you've heard by word of mouth because every year someone tries to take it. So I have I know all of that, but I have no idea about the origin of big game and the big game. And I'm sorry, I can't be more help there. No, no, it's fine. It's just great it's to hear the, you say that. It's the that. mystery of our times. Yeah. It was great to hear you say just big game because that's what I always tell. I try to be respectful. I tell Dave, you know, it's big game and he doesn't care. And so. see, I, I try to be permanently respectful of the English language. And so I appreciate definite articles. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I never really realized I said it. And then um, I guess I, I – just big game. My sister, I think my family all calls it the big game. My sister and I, well, she talks about the game because she went to Yale because she's unfortunate and not intelligent at all. Um, <laughs> but it, I always talked about, you know, the the game was, was Harvard-Yale. So we'll go, you know, back and forth about which is the better rivalry. And I tell her, like, Claire, you went to Yale and you have, you know, presidents and Meryl Streep went to Yale, which is like the coolest person in the whole wide world. Just let me have the athletic side of it. And she still fights me on what's the better rivalry. But, you know. Um, did you have anything else, Dave? I am tapped out, I think. Yeah. I guess real quick, um, if you want to 
how's your experience been so far? Uh, you know, this is all pretty new. Like you said, you started yeah. covering with the spring game, just getting your feet wet in fall camp. How's, how's this been so far? So at first it kind of felt like I was thrown a little bit into the deep end because all of a sudden it was, you know, spring games happening and recruiting starting and I had never covered recruiting before and that's a whole different animal. So it's like having to DM all these prospects and, you know, I, that was, you know, a learning experience and, and, and reaching out to them. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's so not fun. I'll speak honestly about this. It's so not fun trying to f- like trying to get in touch with a 16 year old it is the worst experience in the world (laughs) they don't pick up their phones they don't respond to anything it's a terrible terrible job and you feel so invasive every single time you do it but otherwise it's great it's great (laughs) well it's also hard hard because i feel like i'm asking them questions and and people at cal are like very interested in what majors are going to be. So I'm asking this 16 year old kid, I'm like, Hey, I hate to bother you with this. What are you going to major in? I'm like, I have zero idea. Please stop asking me this crazy person. Um, Cause I came into Cal thinking I was going to be a political science and English double major and then graduated with a degree in Latin American studies. So I think if there's anyone who understands how things change while you're in college, then I might be that example. Um, So that's always weird to be like, hey, major, hey, this. And then you have to be like, what's your top four? And they're always going to tell you that the school that you're from is in their top four. And you're like, but is it actually? So that's a whole different, you know, experience. But I've talked to some really good guys. I actually talked to um, Puka Nakua, who went, who's now going to USC and just was blown away by him. So I think you got a good one there. Cool. Well, Shannon, we appreciate you uh, coming on. And it was great. We wanted to get you on a little earlier, but now I'm glad you're here for the, uh, uh, you know, for the preview stuff. And we'll definitely get you on during the season. But yeah, nice work. Thank you for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, you guys. Thanks, Shannon. All right. Great stuff from Shannon. And now we turn to Stanford and we're talking to RJ Abadia. You can follow him at RJ underscore Abadia, A-B-E-Y-T-I-A. He's a Stanford and football and basketball insider for the bootleg, the Stanford site on 24-7 sports. RJ, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm just wondering, did the sound effects get cut out of the budget on the podcast at Champions? Where is my chainsaw or whatever it was that you guys had for Stanford? Stanford yeah, what are we? You, you were jumping the gun, RJ. We were going oh. to play that in a minute, a minute, but since you requested that sounded, it. So that sounded like somebody's running through the forest as trees are falling. Is that... Is that what's going on there? I think so. We've got two different things going on because the beaver sound effect, I think, is the chainsaw. Okay, yep. so they got their own thing. Right, yep. because we, we didn't have another thing that beavers do besides munch through trees and yeah. wood. Right. So I think that's the complication there. Here's the All here's right. the Oregon State one. Oregon State beavers. There you go. Which we should probably play right before Stanford this. Cardinal. Wow, yes. you know what? I wonder if those are from like the same sound file and it was just spliced. Yeah. Man. We didn't create that, RJ. One of our, our listeners did did an amazing job sending us all of those little drops. Those so. are fantastic. Yeah. Whoever that is, I hope they're getting some props somewhere somehow. We've we did we brought them up a 
I don't know, a couple months ago, maybe, David? Is that? And then he, I think he emailed yeah, I wanna, it. Yeah, I want to say like one month ago, he emailed. We had his name then, and it's since I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't have it anymore. But he did a great job. Go back to that one and uh, and uh, and uh, listen to. I think he left a voicemail that time. He did. He left a voicemail yeah. and was explaining because there was some talk about. Because I think Washington State's had the weakest one with the meow or whatever. So there, you know, yeah. there, was, there were some complaints there. I think. Well, they need a cougar growl. I think we have a lot of growls already because yeah. we've got the wildcat doing its crazy thing and we've got a bunch of bear growls. Well, then I think you should take the other uh, way that cougar is often used in society and <laughs> based on that. Just the, just like a 55-year-old woman saying, exactly. hey, young man. Exactly. I'm just, gonna, get, just get somebody, Kim Cattrall from Sex in the City. That was yeah. by far the smartest thing RJ's ever said on our podcast or maybe that in his great. life. Maybe in his life. <laughs> It's possible. <laughs> so I've set a high bar for myself. So, uh, all right. Well, let's just see what we can do here. All right. So let's. We got to. We got to talk a lot of Stanford. There's a lot going on there. Um, well, I mean, actually, it's the you know basically the same thing every year with Stanford. They're always pretty good. Um, but we've got a lot of topics to cover. Um, basically, we've been covering them with everybody in the Pac-12. But we wanted to start with, and I know Stanford is. A, been a very stable program now for many years but are there any coaching changes even among the assistants um that might have an impact this year uh yeah certainly um mike bloomgren the offensive coordinator slash um offensive line coach has moved on to take the head coach job at rice and with the sort of unique uh, conglomeration with which David Shaw uh, puts together his staff and his his uh, the roles and responsibilities that's kind of resulted in two big changes. Number one is that Tavita Pritchard and I'm going to use titles here because it's really fun at this point. I've kind of embraced it. Uh, Kevin M. Hogan, quarterbacks coach, Tavita Pritchard has now also become the Andrew Luck director of offense slash Kevin M. Hogan quarterbacks coach and Kevin Carberry um, of recent um, of a recent stint with the Washington Redskins has become the offensive line coach slash run game coordinator. And both of those moves obviously have serious implications Um you know, I think from a distance, the easiest thing to say is, you know, all they really have to do is be smart enough to give the ball to Bryce Love. But, you know, as as you as you know, over the years, it, it, it takes a little bit more than that to get things done and get points on the board. But anyway, um, yeah. So Carberry has taken over the offensive line. All returns on him are positive. Um, Bobby Kennedy is actually another guy that they've brought in to coach the wide receivers. Uh, Tavita Pritchard was coaching quarterbacks and wide receivers. So now. He's the offensive coordinator, and he deals with quarterbacks. Bobby Kennedy does wide receivers, and Kevin Carberry is working on the offensive line, um, which should be a really, um, a really good group this year for Stanford. The uh, whenever you do a preview, the first line you always hear like X amount of returning, you know, offensive players, defensive players, blah blah blah. What we know about Bryce Love. Uh, what are some of the key players returning and like what are the numbers like? Are there a lot of people being replaced or a lot of guys coming back? What's the situation well, for Stanford? There's far more turnover on defense than there is on offense. Um, offensively, 
essentially everybody's back. Uh, four of five starters return on the offensive line, including both tackle positions. Um, center Jesse Briquette returns. Um, and then the wide receivers, virtually all of the depth chart is back. The top two, the top three receivers, I would say, um, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who I think is poised to be Stanford's first all-conference receiver since 2000, if you can believe that. Whoa. Um, Trenton Irwin from uh, from down in Southern California. Uh, Connor Weddington is also back. Um, there's also some young guys um, coming back. And then, of course, the tight end group is really, really strong with Caden Smith, Colby Parkinson, um, and Scooter Harrington kind of giving Stanford that – you know, that well-known, um, that well-known position group there at tight end. Um, so, you know, I think, um, offensively, to be honest with you, when you talk about Bryce Love coming back, um, KJ Costello, obviously the pride of Rancho Santa Margarita high school, um, this should be an excellent offense and it has a good chance at being, historic in relation to offenses that Sanford's had in the past. This is, this is the most complete and experienced offensive group Stanford's had certainly in the David Shaw era. Um, and that includes the offenses that they put together with Andrew Luck, I'd argue defense, little bit more of a question mark. Um, when you look at the depth chart from the uh, Alamo bowl, um, and I'm looking at it right now. I would say of the 11 guys who started on Stanford's defense, I would expect there to be four or five of those 11 guys starting this year at the most. Wow. So a lot of question marks on defense and an offense that could be very, very good. That's uh, I think that's kind of the boilerplate um, impression of Stanford at this point. Um, I know uh... – uh, in the spring, the quarterback position was basically like, I think you were out there throwing one day and maybe Ryan <laughs> got out there. Testing I the can arm one day. It, David. You should know that. I'm just saying, I'm sure you can. And they wouldn't have asked you to be out there. I'm sure there's other students they could have asked, but they were like, no, we're going to ask RJ. But, um, Cage Costello was obviously out all spring along with, I think Davis Mills. Um, Costello, is he a hundred percent? Um, I know there was some conflicting report. I think he said he was 100%. David Shaw said 85-90. I mean, what's what are you hearing in that respect? He has – well, he has participated last – I want to say – I think last Monday is when everything got started. Um, and he's been there from the start. So he's he's been through a week. Um, he was asked literally – that David Shaw was asked that question yesterday, I want to say. And his answer was he looked as close to 100% as he's looked realistically he's probably at 85 or 90 but um yeah i mean he's he's in good shape i mean there's as as it stands right now obviously he's not going to be touched between now and san diego state um and there's nothing to suggest that he's not going to be full go by the time the season starts and he's pretty close to full go now and even more encouragingly cuz you kind of brought up the spring situation um, Davis Mills, who also was injured, he got hurt at the end of last year, um, is also on the mend and on his way back. He's not as far back or he's not as he's not as close to 100 percent as KJ Costello is, but he's he's getting there. And I think the expectation is that, again, when San Diego State Week starts, he should firmly be in the number two spot in the depth chart and um, 
yeah, it'll be super exciting to have a depth chart at quarterback because Stanford did not in the spring. They had literally one guy, uh, good old slinging Jack Richardson, who was a walk-on who earned his scholarship by literally being the only quarterback in the spring and allowing them to have kind of a functional spring practice. Um, so that's kind of how that went, and that's kind of where it stands right now. Um, I know you mentioned, obviously, a lot of changeover in the offensive staff. Um, do you anticipate any scheme changes, really? I mean, this has been that traditional Stanford offense for a while now. Are you anticipating anything different either side of the ball? You know, uh, in, in the macro, in the larger sense of it, you know, if you're you're kind of just watching Stanford, I, I don't think there's going to be anything just incredibly different, to be honest with you. I mean, they're going to win the way that they want to win, and they're going to, you know, run the ball and pass it probably at the ratio that they want to pass it. Um, obviously, it remains to be seen. I mean, Tavita Pritchard has not left Stanford since he was 18 years old. So it's kind of weird to it, it, he, it's kind of weird to think of him as a new person, you know. I mean, he's been with David Shaw for the entirety of David Shaw's um, head coaching career. So you kind of wonder just how different it's going to be now that he's in that offensive coordinator role. Um, it, it sounded David Shaw was pretty candid um, back at Pac-12 Media Day in terms of Kevin Carberry. I think they come from kind of the same running game family tree. They're all descendants of the. Bill, Bill Callahan, um, who kind of showed David Shaw the ropes in terms of the running game, and he was a he was a mentor of Carberry. So again, I don't think you're going to see tremendous wholesale changes in terms of how Stanford does its business. What I'll say is that you know inevitably there's going to be a game or two where maybe the model isn't working, and Stanford has to do some things that it might not have been comfortable doing in the past. Um, which is to say maybe throwing the ball 30 times, maybe throwing the ball 31, 32, 33 times. Um, and they are more equipped to do that this year than they have been um, under David Shaw. So I think the blueprint will remain the same, but um, if all goes well, they should be able to beat you in a lot more different ways than they have been in the past. RJ, looking at the schedule, I don't see any trips to – another continent on this this year so i guess that's that's probably good um you don't have to play san diego state on the road that's positive uh bye weeks right in the middle week seven that's not too bad two weekday games a friday game to start the season and then a thursday road trip after a bye week but overall what do you think of the schedule uh missing arizona and colorado from the pac-12 south what are the, what are your thoughts on stanford's schedule this year um, I think it's pretty front loaded, to be honest with you. I think you're going to know more about Stanford than most other teams at the end of September, because by the end of September, they will have played San Diego State. As you mentioned, they will have played USC and they will be then they'll be coming off back to back trips to Oregon and to Notre Dame. So, you know, that's five games. That's quite a September. That's quite a September. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit of a cheat because. San Diego State's August 31st, but yeah, that is quite a September. And when you look at how the schedule sets up, it's a it's a little bit softer middle. Um, they've got Utah at home, at Arizona State, Washington State at home. Um, nothing easy, obviously. Um, as far as the Pac-12 North goes, you kind of finish with that showdown game at Washington. Um then you got Oregon State, and then you know basically it's it's in state for the rest of the year at Cal at UCLA. 
Um, my my thought on the schedule again is just that first that tough first month. If Stanford is if Stanford's four and one coming out of that month, um, or even three and two, but it's kind of the right three and two, so to speak, um, then I think they're going to be in really really good shape uh, for the rest of the year. Obviously, we don't necessarily know who's going to be good and who's going to be disappointing on the schedule, but I definitely think that the, the area to focus on is, is that start. Um, and then after that, um, you know, it's pretty reasonable. The, the, the thing is this is what Stanford's schedule is very, very, um, polarized from year to year in terms of home and away. There's not a lot of balance. So this is the year, even numbered years are the years where the home schedule is not that appealing. It's got USC, um, but then not much else to be really super excited about, but there are a lot of challenging road trips. And then in the odd years, the home schedule has, you know, kind of the big marquee games, um, and, and it's different, right? So this year, Oregon is a road game. Notre Dame is a road game. Washington is a road game. Cal is a road game. Um, so it, it, it's a challenge. There's no, you know, there's no question around it. There's no question about it, but, um, you know, on balance, it's a tough schedule, but you know, if Stanford plays to its capabilities, it's certainly a schedule. No one's going to knock when the season comes to an end and it comes time to really kind of look at strength of schedule. Do you, do you see, do you see a trap game on here? Cause I'm looking at it and it doesn't feel like there's an obvious one, but I'm wondering your take on that. So, David Shaw was actually asked that question. He gave kind of an interesting answer. You know, at first it was kind of kind of off the cuff remark, but he kind of explained it. And he he was asked if he saw any trap games, and he said the last ten. Um, <laughs> the reason the reason that he said that was, you know, obviously San Diego State was not a good scene last year for Stanford. It was a very very disappointing loss. It was a very very costly loss. I mean, you can argue that that loss kept them out of the Fiesta Bowl. Um, you know, they, they won the Pac-12 North, but Washington, you know, and beat Washington, but Washington was slotted higher than they were, um, kind of deservedly so when you look at the whole picture. But if you swing that San Diego State game, I think it might be a little bit different scenario. And then obviously USC, which is always a big deal for Stanford, um, even more so coming off a season in which USC beat them twice. So there is a lot of attention being paid both, I think, inside and outside of the program um, to those two games. And this idea that if somehow Stanford is able to win those two games, you know, there might be this big exhale that could lead to traps. I don't think they're going to get trapped by UC Davis, although historically that's happened. Um, but no, I, I, I think, you know, if, if you're really – other than the what I just said, if you're really looking for for traps, I would say anything in between that at Washington game. Um, but again, that's mitigated by the fact that the week before they play the Cougars, who beat Stanford last year. So I think it's hard to imagine Stanford looking past them. Um, and then Oregon State, who's you know not projected to be a very good team after Washington. I think no matter what happens in that Washington game. It might not be a trap. I mean, Stanford could conceivably just be so beat up that that Oregon State game is tougher than expected. But other than that, I I, I don't know. 
I don't know if there's any real obvious trap games. Yeah, the Oregon State, I mean, on the road last year, Stanford won 15-14 or something like that. Well, the only thing I look at is like, could Cal, but that's a rival. That can't be a trap. Um, I mean, maybe the last weekend against UCLA? I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to, the way it's set up, it just doesn't seem like, I agree with what Dave's saying and what you're going to say. It doesn't seem like a real trap situation. No, no. You know, you know, again, if you took the name off the schedule and it's just a team of Cal's level, maybe, because um, I don't think they're quite ready to be, you know, up there with the better teams in the conference yet, but it's going to be Cal. It's going to be the big game. There's no way. Nobody sleeps, you know. Nobody sleeps on that. David, can you can you say the name, of the the colloquial name of the rivalry again for me, RJ? Um, yeah, I can. Say, say I'm not going to because I don't like your snark. No, no, I want to hear it. I want to hear all three words. Tell them to me. No. <laughs> well, okay. So Shannon, when Shannon was talking about the Cal Stanford game. Three or four times, unprovoked, she said, big game. So there was places where she could have put an article in there and did not. You were slipping in. You said the big game. So that's why David was kind of, or Dave was kind because of. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a supporter of articles. And yes. so I support the usage of a the at the front of big game. <laughs> and I, I saw you as a like-minded fellow. And so I just wanted you to repeat it for posterity. So here's 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 what I'll say. You guys know, obviously, I cover Stanford, but you guys know I'm from down there in Southern California. And one of the big divides is the way between up here and down there is the way you use freeway terminology. Certainly. And in Southern California, you use the article. And the 405. Exactly. In the Bay Area, you do not you are told to take 280 or take 101. And so I guess I will just, it's just a nod to your roots. I'm calling it the big game. I know colloquially, yeah, big game. Are you going to big, are you going to big game? But no, I guess I'm on, I'm on your side, David. I'll call it the, uh, I'll call it the big game. Um, I'll call it the, this CLA game just for you. Um, but yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, no, I, I, the trap alibi is really not anywhere I can see. I mean, maybe if we really want to dig and I'm sure you guys want to move on, but you know, if Stanford's, if Stanford's six and O heading into the Thursday night game against Arizona state. Sure. I guess I could be a trap of some sort because I don't think anybody knows what the substance is known as Sun Devil football is really going to be this year or really in any given year. But that's after a bye week. So it's even harder, you know, like I could see Arizona state being good. You got a veteran quarterback and stuff. If it was a short week, maybe, but after a bye week, I just have a hard time seeing that as a trap for David Shaw, but yeah, no, uh, no Admiral Akbar memes for Stanford (laughs) this year. What, what about you talked about, I mean, so many guys coming back, uh, on the offensive side, tons of production. Some replacements need to be made on the defensive side. Any impact freshmen you see with some potential to come in and contribute right away? Um, it's it's a question I think we'll all have a better answer about in the next couple weeks um, as these guys have. Um, to answer your question, I think. 
if there's going to be an impact freshman, um, it's probably going to come from the defense in terms of the need because um, it's more of a need-based area. Um, but I don't necessarily know that anybody is standing out in a way that makes you think, oh, no, this guy will definitely be on the field from the start. Um, I will say that, you know, again, David Shaw's kind of commented um, about the fact that the new rule with regards to redshirt has kind of opened the door for guys to show up and maybe get on the field um, when they might normally not have done so because Stanford can just wait and see. You know, they can wait a month. They can wait a month into the season. They can wait eight weeks into the season to see. You know, if you look at some of the guys, um, Stanford needs help up front on the defensive line. So if, you, if you're looking for a name, maybe Thomas Booker, a defensive end out of Maryland, really highly prized signee. Um, Caleb Kelly is an outside linebacker. Jacob Mangum Farrar is an inside linebacker. And I'm really only naming them because they're playing positions where Stanford has question marks. Um, it remains to be seen whether or not those guys um, get on the field in games. But I will say, just in general, it sounds like David Shaw is more likely to put a guy out on the field now because he has that luxury with the new rule. Um, when you're looking at the position battles, and I imagine this will largely tend towards the defense, what are the ones that are going to be, you know, kind of ones to keep an eye on heading into September? Um, I would say top three, I would say inside linebacker, um, safety, and then left guard over on the offensive side. Um, and I guess we kind of go backwards. Um, with left guard, um, Brandon Fanica is a fifth-year senior. He's not 100% back David Shaw as of yesterday, um, but he's definitely someone who has as good a chance of any at securing that job. Devery Hamilton, who spent time at left tackle last year, is being moved inside, and he's competing with... Um, he's competing with... Why am I forgetting the guy whose name I literally just said? He's competing with Brandon Fanica. Um, for that left guard spot. And there's some other entries in there. Um, David Shaw didn't name, but I would expect Nick Wilson, who's played that ogre position, um, is getting a look there. So um, that that's something to look for. I mean, again, Stanford's got four or five. He's a fifth-year senior. He's fifth-year senior. He and Hamilton have both spent plenty of time on the field, so I don't think the urgency is there necessarily as much as it might normally be. Um, and then on defense... You know, the most important area is defensive line, but I'm not listing it as a competition because the bottom line is Stanford needs everybody. I mean, they can't. This isn't like a, well, we've got five guys who really feel good for a four-man rotation. This is, God, I hope we have two guys that we feel good about at all. Um, Dalen Wade-Perry and Jovan Swan are expected to be guys who step up, who have not had big roles. They played a little bit last year. Um, Jovan Swan a little bit more than Dalen Wade Perry um, Dylan Jackson is back as a fifth year senior if I'm not mistaken and they all need to be good I mean Stanford has kind of 
they've slipped a little defensively over the past couple of years. And the reason, one of the big reasons, the lack of depth on the defensive line. You know, you 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 have the you have the headliners like Harrison Phillips and Solomon Thomas. And dating back to the Rose Bowl season, there were really only three guys that Stanford was comfortable rolling in and out of the game. And it's really tough to make it through a season when you only trust that amount of guys on the defensive line. Um, as far as actual position battles, I think inside linebacker, there should be um, Bobby Okereke should certainly have a spot. I think Stanford is very high on him, but that other spot is kind of to be determined. Jordan Perez is a fifth-year senior coming back. Sean Barton is a guy who Stanford really likes, but he's been hurt. He got hurt in the San Diego State game last year, and he's you know making his way back onto the field. So there's a little uncertainty there. And then at safety, you have Justin Reed leaving, and you have guys like Malik Antoine, um, battling for for a spot there, and I don't think that I don't think that it's totally set. There you got uh, Brandon Simmons also at safety. Um, so I think I think a little bit of an unknown there. So just kind of recapping, I would say inside linebacker safety, and then on offensive side that left guard spot. Um, talk about the strengths of the Stanford team. Seems kind of like. The traditional Stanford strengths would still still apply. Obviously, Bryce Love coming back would be a major strength. What where would you assess the strengths of this team? Yeah, I mean, I think you start with the run game, and I think you start with the run game, and, and then I think the next best thing is going to be the pass game. And I think you know we we're kind of talking about it before um, in terms of scheme, but I think that Stanford is set up to leverage that run game much more effectively. So whether or not the passing game is so good that they get an honest look, which means, you know, seven guys in the box as opposed to eight or nine, or if they get eight or nine guys in the and it's time to throw, um, Stanford can really take advantage of that. Um, I think an underrated aspect of this football team is special teams. Uh, the coverage units, the kicking units, have been really, really strong. They were really strong last year. They helped Stanford. Stanford spent a lot of last season with field position in its favor. Um, their defense spent a lot of last year starting off against pinned offenses, and their offense spent a lot of last year starting off in really good, in really good field position. Um, Cameron Scarlett returns as a kick returner. Um, they've got. Jet Toner returning as their place kicker. They feel really good about him. And then Jake Bailey is one of the best punters in the country. Um, slight tongue-in-cheek, but I'm working hard to remove the tongue from the cheek. The hashtag Jake Bailey for Heisman got a lot of got a lot of momentum last year among Stanford Twitter, and I expect that to kind of keep up this year. But Stanford special teams have been very good, and I expect them to be very good again this year. Um, I think what's out of character is that I've, I've now named three groups, and none of them are on the defense. Um, I think the secondary can be very good. Elijah Holder is back corner. Um, he's an excellent, excellent football player who's had bad injury luck the last two seasons. Paulson Adebo is a young guy at the cornerback spot who they feel very, very excited about, and to kind of connect to what we were saying about before he was someone Stanford was very, very tempted to use last year as a true freshman. They ended up 
you know, holding on to his red shirt, but barely. Um, so I think the secondary can be very good. I think outside linebacker with Joey Alfieri uh, returning to that position um, can be good. You know, you've got guys like Jordan Fox also out there. Um, Gabe Reed is a name who has um, who has really shown up in the last uh, in the spring session. The coaches unsolicited have brought up him as a guy on may be able to contribute. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think again with the run game and you know, kind of a quarterback who can use tight ends and receivers and and leverage that. It's 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 a similar story, but I also think the deeper you go, it's a little bit different just because of the uncertainty on defense. When it, So then when you are looking at the weaknesses, are you thinking it's probably front seven related potential weaknesses, I would say? Yeah, 100%. I mean, just because, and, and you know, weakness, it's tough to say because these guys haven't played a game yet. But if you're looking at where Stanford has the least amount of depth and experience, it is on the defensive line. Um, and then you look at that inside linebacker spot, and it's it's in something where nobody has stepped up and seized it. Um, at the beginning of last season, there was talk about the fact that in 2016, Stanford roll, literally rolled six guys in and out of inside linebacker. Um, three little three pairs, basically, is what they had. And it wasn't because they were showcasing depth. It was because nobody really took charge of that spot. And last year, it wasn't quite as extreme as six guys playing all the time. But there were guys coming in and out of there. You know, Sean Barton got hurt, so that was a part of it. But, you know, once again, nobody really stepped up to take it. Um, I think the expectation this year is that Bobby Okarecki will make himself a mainstay at that position. Um, but... Overall, um, the front seven has questions, and I think it's really going to be the story of the season. They don't have to be elite with offense for to be really good and to hit kind of the upper level of its of its expectations or potential. But if they're not good with this schedule and the road games the way that they are, you know, this season could go very, very, very differently. Um, if, if that front seven isn't something Stanford can count on to a certain extent. Hey, RJ, it sounds like our connection is getting a little uh, hokey, but we're just about the end. So any other kind of news, notes, something uh, something interesting from Stanford fall camp or over the summer you'd like to share with the listeners? Interesting. I don't know about interesting. Uh, the uniforms are a little bit different. They made some tweaks to the uniforms. I guess the Numbers kind of have a black shading. They're going to stick with the white grill on the face mask. Um, what else of note? Bryce Love is doing stem cell research. Um, so, you know, he's not just setting records on the football field. He's out there trying to cure, you know, disease. Um, so you'll hear that probably six, 7,000 um, this year, so you can look forward to that. Um, Kevin Hogan is not on the team, so hopefully David will not be in the fetal position um, <laughs> when Stanford plays in the late of the year. Um, so, you know, other than that, uh, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, but his namesake, of- he's, he's got his name on the quarterback coaching position now. 
He does. You will have to deal with it for the rest of your life at that level. No question. Yeah. He will, he will be it. there. He will be there in title to haunt you. <laughs> Interesting. Um, all right. Did anything else, David? Um, should we ask the uh, ceiling oh. and floor, even though the connection's breaking up a little bit? Yeah, yeah, let's do that uh, real quick. Stanford, uh, right, so one of our reader, uh, listeners um, provided a few questions as well. We're not going to ask them all, but one of them, what do you think realistically are the floor and the ceiling for Stanford this year in terms of win-losses? So I was on a podcast recently, another one, obviously not the podcast of champions, but you know, you got to do what you can do. There's we'll others? For you guys to call. Um, and right. And they were actually telling me that Vegas, um, some of the people in Vegas, Stanford has kind of the widest win expectancy margin um, in terms of betting. And I think that's accurate, to be honest with you. I think in previous years, I felt pretty comfortable with Stanford in that eight, nine, 10 and range. Um, as far as a ceiling and a floor, and that's basically where they've basically where they've fallen. Uh, this year, to be honest with you, I think it's a lot wider. I think if that defense is legitimate and the offense plays to its potential, you're talking about an 11 to 12 football team, including the postseason. Um, I think if that defense doesn't gel and isn't ready to produce, especially in those five games. Um, I think you could be looking at a seven-win team, um, and that's obviously far below anything that David Shaw has produced up until this point. Um, but it's a possibility, and again, the the upper end is a possibility as well. Um, when you've got an off that good, um, that, you know, just it's the nature of the game. So I, I think it's wide a range of possibility as there as there has been since David Shaw has been the coach, and I would I would honestly say, yeah, they could win eleven or twelve games. They could also win six or seven. All right, RJ Abadia doing a great job for the bootleg. We'll definitely try to get you on again once the Bay Area figures out this thing called the internet and we get a good connection and everything. But we're uh, working on it. I, I, there's some startups <laughs> here trying to develop that. I don't know what the progress <laughs> is or what they're doing, but I'll, I'll get back to you on that. Yeah, are you, I don't, it's not, like we're on Skype, so it's not like you know the phone line's bad or something. But we we it's been breaking up a little bit, so that's okay. You know, we, we do what we can. Um, great stuff, RJ. We are looking forward to the month of September and and one game in August. Uh, we'll know a lot more about Stanford after Week Five for sure. Okay, good stuff from our man RJ talking some Stanford football, and now we have just a ton of questions to get through. And by a ton, I mean like several, certainly yeah. not off the peak, but you know, a decent amount. We're pretty happy with you people. You did the right amount. Is we it, don't feel like we're going to talk for three hours, but we you know, feel like we're talking for a little bit. It's great. It's good. And, uh, you want to, we have a couple of voicemails, like I mentioned at the top of the show, but let's start with an email, Dave. All right. So our man, Hifliday, this is the first of two Hifliday emails for all of you fans of Hifliday's oh, out there. Very nice. Uh, it leads boulder in your eye. A nice little pun um, of, of sorts about uh, Boulder, Colorado uh, from from Hitler. Great interviews last week with Dan Sorensen and Adam Munster Tiger. This is now a couple weeks ago. Uh, you guys seem to have relaxed a bit and are just letting guests drop a lot of knowledge. I think in the past you were anxious about it overwhelming your audience, but I'm glad to hear you giving your listeners more credit. 
Well, thank you, Hifflet. I, I to, to be, for the record, I'm not giving the listeners more credit at all. But no, never. Uh, David's noted a few times. This is like the David themed show. Again, I don't care what people call me, but it's like a lot of David this week. It's great. Uh, David's noted a few times that despite being Colorado's second biggest fan, he thinks they're in for a bad season, and I'm hoping he can get specific about why. Recapping what Munster Tigers said of the Buffs, uh, they're returning a great secondary and inside linebackers, and those positions have been a strength historically. He highlighted senior Juco defensive tackles and possibly elite freshman defensive ends. The transfer of a 1,000-yard running back from Virginia Tech, wide receiver will be a strength despite losing some entitled seniors, and the O-line is dipping three underperforming guys but retaining the two good ones, and he highlighted two new talented guys. There's really only one position of concern at outside linebacker, but as he noted in CU's scheme, that's not exactly a pivotal position. That sounds like a pretty solid team to me, or at the very least comparable to where about two-thirds of the conference is at. I can only think of two explanations for David being so down on Colorado. One, that Munster Tiger is wrong about something and there's a key position that they're going to be awful at. Or two, that a quarterback Montez is doomed to be the worst version of what we've seen in the past. Which is it and why? Or is there a third thing? Um, all right, so great question. Um, Adam definitely gave me a lot to think about. I'm still in the camp where I don't think Colorado is going to have a good season. Um, but I think there's reason to be hopeful if you're a Colorado fan. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff that Adam provided. I'm just skeptical that it's all going to come together. And when you look at the schedule, it's not it's not particularly easy. Um, I mean, they have to they, they avoid Stanford. So that's good. And they avoid Oregon. So that's good. But in the non-conference, they have at Nebraska, which is not going to be pretty, most likely. And Colorado State, which it's tough to tough to know exactly how that one's going to turn out, but I don't think it's going to be much more than like a pick em. Um, and then in the conference schedule, it's just that they've got road games at USC at Washington at Arizona at Cal, all of which could be losses. Um, each of those teams could give uh, Colorado trouble at home. So already I'm operating where it's going to be a struggle to get to a bowl game. And then when you look at all of these things, there's a, there's a complete reverse to them. They lost three starters from their offensive line. They lost a bunch of wide receiver experience, whether you think those guys were entitled or good or not. They did lose those guys. Um, I, I just think there's there's certainly a scenario where it all goes right. I don't think that scenario where it all goes right is them finishing 10 and four like it was two years ago. But maybe there's a scenario where everything goes right and they go eight and four. Right. Yeah. But I think the more realistic scenario is that they're going to be in a real fight for a bowl game. And I'm taking the low end because you sort of have to on some pick at some point. Not everyone can go six and six. And there's a scenario where basically every team besides Oregon State can go six and six or better. Um, but you have to you have to take some shots. And I think CU, you know, I didn't like the way Montez looked last year after looking much better the previous year. And I know he's got some new leadership in that room. So maybe he bounces back and gets to nearly where he was two years ago when he was backing up Cephalou Fowl and came in and honestly looked better than Cephalou Fowl. I think that's a total possibility. Um, it's just hard for me to buy at this point. And I'm not – listen to Monster Tiger over me, all right? Anybody who, who cares about Colorado football, listen to Monster Tiger. He's the expert on it. But, um, you know, you have to pick somebody to go 3-9 and nine or 4-8 and eight or whatever I did and uh, – and, for me, it's it's Colorado this year. Yeah, and it's not just a collection of the. You could look at each position group and say, okay, this is going to be a great team. It's not. It doesn't always work like that. And you could add. I think they're going to have good special teams. Uh, they got that thirty-year-old 
true freshman kicker coming back. Um, you know, he's a semifinalist for the Lou Groza Award or whatever. So I think that, but you look at the schedule, like Dave mentioned, they have three Friday games, which you know, Cal has none on a weekday. Colorado has three of them. Now, one of them's the opener, so that's not a huge deal. You know, one of them's UCLA after a bye week. Maybe not a big deal, but they do have to play on the road at Arizona week 10. So, you know, all those Friday games kind of add up. They're they're one of those teams, too, that Dave, that has a, a lot of the Pac-12 teams didn't have a bye week week four. I need to go back and look to see how many, but there's a lot of them that just play week one, two, week two, week three, then a bye, um, which is kind of interesting. And this is a team that was last in points scored in the Pac-12 last year. So yeah, uh, it's... I don't think it's, you know, it's not unreasonable that they can't do, you know, better than what you may think, but it's probably more reasonable to, to pick. I forget where you picked them, Dave, but, you know, fifth or sixth in the in the South isn't unreasonable, but, you know, they could make a run. I don't think they can do, like Dave said, make a 10-game run, um, but, you know, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, I picked them last um, behind ASU. I would and switch it now. Actually, I'd, behind the three-way tie. Right. I would put, you know, I after speaking with, Chris Cartman, I don't feel good about picking SU last. I do think they're going to do better. So they would have probably slipped. They would probably, even though everything Adam said, I would probably drop Colorado to six. So what we're point. saying is Chris Cartman provided a more convincing case than Adam Mustertiger. I just, that's I don't what we're saying. He didn't do, <laughs> he has a more convincing case to talk about is more. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> but Adam, you did a great job and uh, you've, you've convinced Hifliday, it sounds like. Yes. So that's good. Uh, so we have one, this is just titled podcast from Justin. Hey, Ryan and David. No, he just said Dave, but I was going to say that. This is Go UCLA 05 from the Bro Board again. A few weeks back, you guys fielded a question about some of the other podcasts that you two enjoy. David mentioned a comedy pod- a podcast called The Dollop and specifically pointed to a recent episode about the 1908 New York to Paris car race. I have to say that you are absolutely correct, Dave. I have almost no words for how funny that episode was. I just wanted to point out to Dave that anyone and anyone else who might have started listening to the dollop that um, as well as that the other two must listen episodes I've come across are the ones about the 10 cent beer night put on by the Cleveland Indians in 1974. Cosine. Cosine. Definitely listen to that as well. It was really good. Okay. Oh, yeah. um, 10 cent beer. I'm sure that that caused a few problems. And the one about the sword history of the Philadelphia Eagles fans. I'm not saying everyone needs to go out and subscribe to the podcast, but you should all definitely hear those two stories. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I, I recommend both of those as well. Great email from Justin. But yes, if you didn't get that recommendation when we were doing the podcast recommendations, the dollop and the episode about the 1908 New York to Paris car race is Maybe the hardest I've laughed in like the last five years. <laughs> I still need to do that. I think I put it on my list, but I haven't listened to it yet, so I will. He, he wrote again, too. He said FCS schools. Um, he had one more question, and he said, Dave, I apologize if you've already discussed this on the bro board. I can't remember if you have or not. As you two may or may not know, UCLA and USC are two of the three FBS schools, along with Notre Dame, that have never played a football game against an FCS, formerly 1AA school. Do you guys take pride in that? As a UCLA fan, I'm definitely proud of that fact. Dave, do you think that UCLA will eventually play an FCS team under Chip Kelly? So UCLA actually has an immediate issue here, which is in 2020, they got dropped by Rutgers. Um, So they only have one non-conference game on the schedule. And that is really tight at this point uh, to to still be trying to fill your non-conference in 2020, uh, just two years away. 
Um, so they're, that's probably going to be one of the toughest decisions they're going to have to make is whether they will drop down to an FCS level to get an opponent that year. Um, I don't, they definitely don't want to. Nobody at UCLA wants to. Um, I didn't get the impression Chip Kelly cares one way or the other. Um, at this point, maybe he will once they get it rolling a little bit, but for now he doesn't. So I, I think they would prefer not to, um, but circumstances might dictate it in 2020 because there's just, there's there's less inventory, as they say at this point. Uh, I just don't know how many possible opponents are left um, who are in the FBS level who are realistic uh, because it if you're filling out a schedule like this, you probably would want a big-time home-and-home because if they're looking at 2020, it's at San Diego State which isn't that's that's kind of the local school you play um usc and ucla both kind of schedule similarly and you play kind of a local f f uh, uh group of five school san diego state san jose state hawaii nevada these are always in the rotation uh but you usually want that kind of one big headliner maybe it ends up being a neutral site game that they organize later or maybe they get a big home and home it's hard to say, but they still have to figure out that last slot, and that might be the difficult one. So um, I'm interested to see what happens that year. If it doesn't happen that year, I don't see it ever happening. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe that's the year that the um, Las Vegas Stadium opens. If they could do that Pac-12 yeah, exactly. SEC game, that would be one at least. I think that would be awesome and be great. You know, UCLA to to be one of the you know the first team to do that. I think that would be awesome for. For that school, um, I think, you know, from the USC fan perspective, the, you know, everyone on our message boards, they do take that. At, I mean, they're prideful of that. They it's um, they're proud that they're one of three schools that that doesn't do that. I think there would probably be a bit of an uproar, like if if Clay Helton wanted to schedule an FCS school or, or you know, whoever ends up doing that. I think the fans would uh, react rather negatively. Um, and it might take a situation like what Dave was describing, where. You get dropped by one school, and now you got to, you know, or and you, you still have two spots left to fill. It's not always all that easy to do. So, you know, and that thing is maybe more about necessity. I think it would be a bigger deal if Chip Kelly came in and said, "Our philosophy is going to be that we play an FCS school every year." Then you might see some kind of pushback. Um, I, I know there would be at USC. I, I'm not sure about Notre Dame, but I, I would assume at UCLA too. Yeah, definitely. I think. I think there's probably a mix. There's probably a, a small but vocal minority on our message boards who would prefer any form of scheduling that would um, increase the odds of making a playoff run. Um, so if you're looking at the model the SEC schools use, obviously that involves scheduling FCS. Uh, sorry, the SEC schools use that, that the model is to schedule at least one FCS opponent every year. Um and so I think there is a vocal minority. I'm sure you have it on your message board, too. I think the majority of people, though, they do take some pride in the fact that there is that tradition of only scheduling, um, you know, basically only scheduling opponents who have a realistic chance of beating you. Um, and I think that gives, you know, Notre Dame, USC, and UCLA all points of pride. Yes. Uh, you want to do the next one? Sure. All right. So the next one is from Cameron. Tucson Spots uh, from U of A fan and humble listener of the pod. Uh, I think this one's going to be great. Hey, guys, love the podcast, Ryan. Your professionalism is second to some. Dave, keep up the good work on your pronunciations. You'll get there, bud. He, he, mis he misspelled pronunciations. Just <laughs> throwing it out there. Just, just throwing it out there, Cam. Bud. Um, 
So Tucson, to other Pac-12 fans, don't listen to Dave. So my, my Yelp review listing from last week apparently didn't go over well. Uh, go to downtown 4th Ave, University Street, Main Gate. All are a blast, all have fantastic food options, and all are on the streetcar link. There is a brand new AC Marriott in downtown, and Tucson has made a huge emphasis to grow downtown, grow downtown in the last 10 years. It was barren in the early aughts. Uh, some of my favorites are Cafe Poca Cosa Restaurant, Hotel Congress, Boutique Hotel Restaurant Bar where Dillinger was captured, O'Malley's, which is a bar, The Hut, which is a bar, Lindy's on 4th, which is a restaurant. I think I mentioned that one. I think I get credit for that one, right? Uh, yeah, I think you did. No Anchovies, a bar uh, and pizza joint, and Gentle Ben's, a restaurant and brewery. All right, so those are good recommendations from Cam, and he says peace. So you, good are, stuff. Are you an anchovy guy? No, God no. no. That, yeah, those are awful. I don't even know why that was, that was ever a thing. Yeah, I, I think it was. I mean, it was a joke from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I know that um, that they would get anchovies on pizza and it would be like gross. Um, but I don't know <laughs> if anybody actually does get them on pizzas. I feel like it's like something that was like a long time ago. Like it was not. Yeah. Yeah. Well before then. Um, hey, we got a voicemail. Well, thanks for that, um, Cameron. We have a voicemail I'd like to play for you. So I'll do that sure. right now. Here you go. Hey, guys. This is uh, Joshua from Arkansas. Love your podcast. A minute for the Pac-12 After Dark. Uh, I don't really have a question so much, but I have one demand. I need your Washington uh, reporter to take a video of Jake Browning throwing next to Jacob Ethan because I think it'll be the most hilarious thing that you guys can post. I'm sure it'll go viral. I mean, I watched Jacob Eason at Georgia. The guy, it doesn't matter if it's a Hail Mary or a screen pass. He does nothing but throw fist missiles. And <laughs> there's no telling if it's going to hit the target or not. But it's coming out at 95 no matter what. And all Jake Browning does, does is throw ducks. So I think it would be absolutely hilarious to see them throwing next to each other. Thanks. That's a great idea. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see them. Um, I'd like to see Jake Browning throw at a target that's like 60 yards downfield and Jacob Eason do the same thing. But I want to see if Jacob Eason can throw the ball and hit that target twice before Jake Browning's ball arrives. Because, <laughs> I mean, Jake Browning's ball, it's going to be rolling for the last like 15 yards. <laughs> so right? And so by the time it gets to the target, it's going to be going at a pretty slow clip. Yeah. So yeah, I want to see this. I want to see this. In my mind, you were you were going to tell some kind of joke about putting like layers of toilet paper and how many Jake Browning could throw through. And I, I don't know why my mind went there. That's what I was thinking you were going to say. Um, I it could have gone there. It could have gone there. I was going with the target throwing, but it definitely could have gone. You know, can it break through tissue tissue paper? <laughs> nice. That was a great uh, great voicemail. We'll uh, we'll get we'll get our guys at, at the uh, at Dogman site. On that, I don't know what they can do. I think they can. They, I think they probably have like twenty minutes of access and uh, and and some time to video. So I'll see what we can do there. Yeah, if I was hearing correctly, I think, or if I was reading correctly, I think they're like opposite end of the field from where the team actually practices. So it's uh, hard to see much, but they they're technically in. I, I can't remember exactly what they were saying though. How cool is that? We got a, a listener in Arkansas, like Pac-12 fan in Arkansas, international baby. That's. <laughs> 
That's kind of international. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. I had a great time when I went. USC played hey, Arkansas. The, the, the South is a different country, it as is. as I now know as a as a resident. As a resident of the South, I had a great time in Arkansas when I went. USC played Arkansas like '05 or '06 or something, and uh, yeah, man, you go to the bar for like ten dollars, buy like a round of beers for like everybody there. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. Uh, you want me to do the next one, or you got? Uh, I can do it. I can do it. Whatever. Uh, that's okay. Uh, conference of QB play, since this is you know kind of same along the same lines of the quarterback e- uh, voicemail we got from Joshua, Lone Star Dog emailing from the middle of nowhere, Sweden on a train. This is international, so very international. A little further away than Arkansas, the dogs are picked to win the pack, and it will happen rather easily if we get decent quarterback play from a quarterback who's been starting for seven straight years, dating back to the ninth grade. We're really hoping the new offensive coordinator, Hamden, can uh, unscrew, I'm going to just say unscrew, we don't want to, unscrew Browning's mind and take as much off his plate as possible with a heavy run-first offense. Name your most underwhelming quarterbacks to win the pack uh, on winning Pac-12 teams, or rather just the LA schools, because you won't spend much time thinking past <laughs> your own schools. It's not that we wouldn't spend time, it's just... That doesn't like, it's not, you know, you can't recall that right away. We'd have to go back and look. I'm sure there's some, yeah. some really underwhelming quarterbacks that won the Pac-12, like a, like a Warren Moon or something at Washington. He was probably very underwhelming, right? Like I assume. He <laughs> yeah, very, good. very underwhelming. Right. Yeah. Uh, ironically, not good. <laughs> ironically Jonathan, Jonathan Smith at Oregon State comes to mind, but he had an All-American running back and two wide receivers named Chad Johnson and TJ Hushmanzada. Who comes to your mind? Thanks in advance, Lone Star Dog. Uh, similarly underwhelming to Browning, I think. So I don't know what Kevin Hogan has done in the NFL, but he would be one that jumps to mind. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, who is never like, never like even in the top four of offensive people you were worried about when uh, you were watching Stanford. Um. I'm trying to think because it's tough because any team that was like, so a lot of those Oregon quarterbacks under Chip Kelly weren't great, no. but they were great because it was Chip Kelly. Yeah. Like Jeremiah Mosley was nobody's idea of a star and Darren Thomas was just okay. But that scheme turned them into huge, you know, incredible players. And then we saw with Marcus Mariota, what a true star looks like yes. in that offense suddenly. Oh, wow. So Darren Thomas and Jeremiah Mosley were nothing. Um, so I would, I would throw those two in that mix too, but like on the Jonathan Smith level, I don't, I think Jake Browning's a cut above that. Um, I I wouldn't say he's that underwhelming. I mean, we, we, we make a lot of fun of Browning with, you know, probably good reason, but he's, he's okay. Um, he's, he's that, that first year when he's got a, a true deep threat, um, he was pretty good. Yeah. It's just, kind of a, a noodle arm and I, I think <laughs> I think issue, the issue presents and it's not I, I don't think it has anything to do with like big game mentality or any of that stuff I think the issue with his arm just presents more and he's probably thinking about it more when he's going against hyper athletic teams and I just don't know that that's something that's just a matter of unscrewing your mind I think that's a matter of like can you transplant somebody else's arm onto your body um, and I just don't know that <laughs> I do know that that's not realistic, but I just don't know that that's like a fixable issue. Yeah. Um, I think I, what they're going to have to do is lean on Miles Gaskin, lean on that offensive line, 
have Browning do enough that he's not, you know, that you're not completely going to the run. Um, but you're when Washington goes against an elite athletic team, an elite, elite athletic defense with Jake Browning at quarterback, they're going to have to lean on their run game and hope that their defense shows up in a major way. Cause I just don't see him ever being in a position where he's going to win a game against an athletic defense. Yeah. And it, it's, so this is hard. So if you're talking about teams that have won the conference, um, you had mentioned probably the most obvious ones with, you know, Stanford and Oregon. I think, you know, there's a lot of conference championships there and uh, you know, like the Jeremiah Masoli's of the world is like, yeah, we're, I mean, not necessarily, you know, I end up transferring out things like that. Um, you know, you had Washington with Jake Browning two years ago. I mean, last year it was Sam Darnold. So no, I wouldn't say he's underwhelming. And when USC made that run, uh, you know, you got Matt Leiner and stuff, even like with John David Booty, like guys that got drafted, maybe you would pick someone like him. Um, I think Arizona State shared the title in 2007. That was Rudy Carpenter, if I believe. Um, Rudy Carpenter might qualify as somewhat underwhelming. Yeah. who And then Cal shared it in 2006. Who was the quarterback? I can Google um, it. Was that Joe Ayub or was that um, Nate Longshore? Or was that – there were a few different guys who were on pretty good Cal teams who were nothing special. Um I think that might have been Joe Ayub. Let me look. Hold on real quick. Um, yeah, that's so. I mean, it's tough. Quarterbacks. They had Kyle Reed, Nate Long, Nate Longshore. Yeah, so he, I, I think it was Nate Longshore that year. Then he was a junior. Yeah. It was Nate Longshore and Jay, Joe Ayub was his backup that year. But they and had Longshore. Longshore was fine, but again, nothing special. They had uh, Lynch and Forsett, you know, at running back on that team and stuff. I mean, that was a that was a good team, but. First, it's, that's tough, you know, like um, 2002 Washington State. Was that was, – that wasn't Ryan Leaf, was it? No, that was – That might have been. Was it on. not? Uh, no, Ryan Leaf was drafted, I think, in 2001, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, 2002 Washington State. So, that, I mean, it's not – I don't know. I, you don't want to rag on um, Jake Browning too much. It's not like, you know, he's like the worst <laughs> – quarterback ever or anything like that um oh they had so oh there was josh josh schwager and jason gesser or those those were the two of the quarterbacks on that team i don't remember those, those, yeah those sound like names yeah those are those are people um <laughs> they exist yeah. yes so yeah i mean it's just a lot i like to kind of go back um in the last you know 20 years or so and it's tough like with ucla when's that that's been since 98, right? And that was certainly not an underwhelming Well, the problem with UCLA is whenever they've had a pretty good quarterback, aside from Josh Rosen, they've won. And when they don't have a good quarterback, they don't win. I mean, it's you'd have to go back into like probably the early mid 90s for the last combination of like decent quarterback play. But the rest of the team was strong enough for them to actually win some games. But there were some I mean, 90s when, teams where they had like third, fourth string guys playing, right? That were good. Yeah, I mean, there was like 93 where I think they were down to, uh, but they weren't, they didn't end up good at the end of that year. Like they were supposed to be good. And then I think by the end of the year, a former walk-on was playing quarterback and they were, you know, I think they were a losing team. They, they beat SC that year. But um, no, I mean, generally UCLA, when they have a good quarterback, they can be pretty good. Yeah. And when they have a bad quarterback, they're not going to be good no matter what. Um, and that's just been the way it's gone for basically the last 20 years. Um 
So I don't I don't have I don't really have a good example UCLA wise. I think the best one would be the one that's most analogous I think to the Jake Browning is probably Kevin Hogan. Um, yeah. Kevin Hogan could be a little bit more with his legs than Browning can, but Browning's obviously a much more accurate passer. Um, but I think they're kind of similar. I don't know if Hogan ever um, limited Stanford's potential. And I, I don't want to say this too harshly because Washington is almost certainly going to win the league this year. And they're going to have put together maybe the best three-year stretch they've had since Don James. So I don't want to oversell this, but he is kind of a limiting factor when you go up against one of those elite athletic defenses. And I'm not talking about your garden variety athletic defense. I'm talking about SEC schools, most of the time USC, and that's pretty much it. But if he's going against those types of defenses, I just don't know if he has the gun to deal with it. Um, well, we'll get to and see I don't week know one, right? Hogan... What's that? We'll get to see week run, one, right? Yeah, against Auburn. And that'll be interesting to see if he is... You know, if he is able to, as as our man says, unscrew his mind a little bit um, <laughs> and and get to some place. But I, I just don't I just don't know if it's a wholly mental thing. I think it's a matter of just not necessarily having that plus arm strength that'll allow you to, to you know, get outs to the sideline against an athletic defense that's playing up on your receivers. All right. You want to do uh, Hitler days? All right. I'm doing all of Hitler day. He's going to be happy. He, yeah. he doesn't like it. You sometimes step on his, his, his excellent witticisms. <laughs> okay, so Hithoday went with another pun for the title here. Dessert Swarm. Mm. So not Desert Swarm. Dessert Swarm. I like let that. Let that marinate for a little bit. <laughs> All right. Given that a lot of people are picking Arizona as a dark horse South contender, I was a little surprised that you boys let Jason Shear off the hook on how atrocious Arizona's defense has been under Marcel Yates and how puzzling it was that Kevin Sumlin retained him. The Wildcats were 115th in defensive SMP plus last year and 105th the year before and gave up 42 points per game in conference play over that time. And that was with, as Shear noted, three really good linebackers in Fields, Schooler, and Wilborn. The rest of the depth chart in the front six was just that bad and opposing offenses feasted on probably the worst secondary in the conference. The most Shear had to offer was that they return a lot of players and Yates will have a longer leash, but are those actually good things with a bad defense? So this is interesting. Um, my So, yes, the, the stats on Arizona's defense were not good last year, but my overriding impression of watching de- the Arizona's defense was that it was bad, but a little bit dangerous at times. Like, they were aggressive, um, they created turnovers, and they were disruptive. Yeah, And that doesn't make a good defense, um, and eye test is not superior to stats in really any way, but why do I have that impression? Like, was that just a talking point, or is that something that's true? Like, did Arizona have, you know, what was there an element? Because sometimes you see a defense that's bad, and it's super passive. I can point to maybe 10 different UCLA de- defenses over a 12-year span that had those two traits. Um, Arizona's wasn't passive. They were getting after it. It was sort of like a, it was sort of like a not great Todd Graham defense at times. I mean, they weren't blitzing at that level, but they were disruptive. Yes. Um, I think part of it is for, at least for me, I think it passed the eye test too. I think you like the aggression and you knew that there was a lot of freshmen playing. So maybe that's in the back of your mind that, okay, I'm seeing this mistake. I'm seeing that mistake. But these are all a bunch of freshmen that have been thrown in here because they were so young. And it seemed like you 
there was, but I just saw potential. And so in my mind, maybe that's just something I made up in my mind, but I saw potential there. I knew there was a lot of young players. I really felt that this defense was going to be better. So yes, you can look at 118th or whatever they were ranked. Um, I just, my gut feeling was it was going to be better. The, the problem with, you know, when Jason was bringing up that there was only two healthy scholarship cornerbacks, that's going to be problematic in the Pac-12 too. So maybe that's something else that's going to be harder to, that'll be something that's harder to overcome than maybe you would have, that I would have thought originally. But I think that's my gut back with it, Dave, is just that there was a lot of freshmen playing last year. Yeah, that was my sense too. So I think the reason we didn't push back is that it kind of dovetailed with our impression of last year. But you're right. I mean, I, I looked at the stats after the year, Day, and I was I was kind of shocked that they were that low in the S&P Plus. Um, so... You know, I, I think this year will be interesting because if those guys, now sophomores, a lot of them, um, are still ranking that low in defense, then yeah, I think we can pin a lot on Yates. But for now, I'm willing to, to throw it on the youth movement a little bit. Um, Dave, our buddy Nick, instead of writing in, well, he wrote in too, but he called in. Are you ready to hear from Nick in person? I want to hear every word All Nick right. has to say. This is our buddy Big Nick. Hey, this is Nick. From Cyprus, aka Big Nick 21, USC from the P. I want to send a shout out to review of previous week's podcast questions, opinions, and upcoming questions for the podcast of Champions. Shout out to Ryan Abraham and David, the heavier set version of William Jess Robertson Woods. Say that damn beer is my point. Hope you guys are enjoying your Zimas. You go, girlfriend. And also, Chloe, thank God she's not a Kardashian. Can't spell her name out because I'm LA, LAUSD education. <laughs> so uh, going to last week's podcast, I, I kind of gave what I think the team should get as far as uh, wins totals. For Arizona, I think they're going to get up to eight and a half wins. ASC, even though with the good luck of women, only seven. And Ryan and Dave, I'm 34, not 45. LOL. <laughs> Fall camp has arrived, which means college football is just around the corner. My opinion on the North is simple. It's a one-team race with UW winning it and everyone else fighting after Stanford to come in third place. Question is simple. Who do you see coming in third place and why? I'm actually going to go out on a limb on this one, and I'm going to pick Cal, the Golden Bears. Thanks. Bye. And fight on. Good stuff from Nick. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, well, my pick for number uh, two, actually, in the north is Oregon. So I'll just say them. Um, I think the schedule sets up really, really nicely for them to um, to come in second in the north behind Washington. I've got Stanford actually third. So um, I, I think the, I, Oregon has potential to be really good this year. I think Justin Herbert's really good. So that's my pick for uh, second in the north. I don't remember. I uh, I forget which order I put them in, but I had Oregon and uh, Stanford too. Uh, you know, two and three. Um, I thought that was pretty close. I but I I don't mind the Cal pick. I think that's uh, interesting. Though he's very high on Stanford. Um, you know, with Bryce Love back there, obviously he can do a lot of stuff. Uh, they had some weird stuff happening last year, and they still end up you know winning the North. I don't know if they're going to be able to get over the hump uh, to face Washington, which they have to go on the road to do this year. So 
Uh, but yeah, makes sense to me. And I, you know, do you think Cal can can up there and finish in the top half of the division, Dave? Totally possible. Um, the schedule isn't like super easy, but it's not horrible for Cal. Um, they're going to be better across the board. Um, so I could totally see it. Like looking at the schedule, they're going to be. Uh, what are they going to be? So they're going to be in their non-conference. They're probably going to be favored or just about favored in every single game. Um, and then in conference, they'll be favored at Oregon state. They'll be favored against Colorado at home. And then really what they'll have to do is probably beat UCLA on the road. They'll probably be slight dogs there, but nothing major, you know, maybe beat Oregon on the road and then pull off some other win somewhere else in here. Um, but if they get to five and four, I think that could get them to, you know, number three ish in a uh, in a jumbled up north. Yeah, they they uh, they get Oregon at home, right? In week five, Cal does. Yeah, Oregon at home, but I, I yeah, Oregon's going to be tough. I mean, I think they're yes. going to Cal Cal's going to be home dogs in that game. Um, so we'll see. And uh, sorry, the UCLA game is at home as well, so they might they might actually end up being favored in that game. Yeah, well, so. It's. Uh, I mean, they got to go on the road at Washington State at USC back to back late. They do get Stanford at home. I mean, there's some potential. And I did pick. I picked Stanford second, and I picked uh, Oregon third. Um, we'll see. I'm. I'm curious to watch Oregon this year because they, if they start, they could. You get the feeling, Dave, that they could be like juggernauty. Like you could. Like Oregon might be like a lot better than we think. Do you. Do you feel like that's possible, even with the coaching change and everything? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think they. They have the ability to be great this year. Um, it's just going to be a matter of whether they can put together, you know, Mario Cristobal, he, he didn't call plays as the offensive coordinator, whether they're able to call an offense, how that offense looks. Um, but they've got the tools. I mean, Justin Herbert is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 this year. Um, that defense was much, much better last year than it was the previous year. Yeah. And in this year under Levitt, I think they'll be even better. So there's a lot to like about Oregon. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, Herbert, I mean, just him, just seeing him at Pac-12 Media Day, like, they're going to be good. Like, that's, that was yeah, my conclusion. He's a, dude. <laughs> he's a dude. All right, ready for Bernie's? Yes. Question. Uh, first, the podcast before last, you guys strayed from the straight and narrow using the F word at least five times. My nephew, who is a teenager, likes to listen to these when he works out and his dad and our and his dad and his dad is hoping you'd set a better example, especially if you want younger listeners. We will do our best, Bernie. Did you, I avoided Question one for already. Th- yes. You I, avoided what we avoided it several times. All right. There, there have been many emails. You, you should pin this on the vulgar, vulgar emailers. Bernie. <laughs> All right. Question for Dave. Dave, am I nuts? But if UCLA can avoid the injury bug, UCLA could have a top four defense in the Pac-12. Their first unit is mostly composed of four and five stars that have experience. And with an upgrade in coaching, don't you think the Bruins will be in a lot of games this year? You and Tracy talked on your podcast about them being three deep at a lot of positions and of a lot of the players being more yoked, Tracy's term, than ever. If so, might we top that five and a half win total everyone is predicting? Um... Yes, all of this is valid and a possibility. UCLA has a bunch of talent in the front four, uh, front seven, really, across the board. The secondary is good, um, but I don't think anyone's concerned about the secondary. It's more, can that run defense actually not give up like six yards of carry like they did last year? And uh, we'll see. Um, the main issue for me isn't necessarily a defensive line, because I think there is a lot of talent there. Um, it's 
inside linebacker. Um, there isn't that was that unit was so bad last year um, at just getting to ball carriers and bringing them down that I have that's a full show me like I need to see I need to see those guys in a game before I'm going to believe it. A lot of offseason reports that Chris Barnes is looking pretty good at, at the Mike linebacker spot, but I'm going to need to see that in a game. After watching him like full-on give up on plays last year, I'm going to need to see that one in a game. Um, but if he's good, really that defense, it was it was a couple of linebackers making plays and being in position to make plays because that scheme was awfully passive from being okay. And I think with better, better coaching, with better development, yeah, I think they can be a top-four defense. I just I don't know if I would bet on that at this point. I think they'll be better, but top four is getting into you know that's getting into rarefied air with probably Washington, maybe Oregon, maybe USC. Um, so they're going to have to play pretty close to their build talent level out of high school to get to that level. And I think it's possible. I just don't know if I'd bet on it. And then the five and a half win total. Um, I think I've said I, I would take the over there. I wouldn't bet a ton of money on it. Um, the schedule is really rough, but the more I'm thinking about it, I think the over is a pretty safe bet. Um, I, I, I have a hard time seeing them lose seven games this year. Um, I think six and six feels like, you know, I, I think I predicted that. I think it feels, it's not the floor. There's absolutely a scenario, I guess, where they could lose seven games. So I just don't think that's in the realm of likelihood. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the uh, the over five and a half is probably doable. Cool. Um, and then Ryan. Yes. I see USC is doing very well in recruiting, but I just don't see the four and five star linemen on the list that are necessary to make the playoffs. Why aren't they recruiting the Southeast region and Texas more like Carroll did? Thanks, guys. Bernie. Thanks, Bernie. Uh, so for the second part of the question, um, they they are not recruiting those areas as hard. I think if you look at the staff in general. Pete Carroll put together a staff that everyone was a relentless recruiter. Um, that almost was like a requirement, and that's not a requirement uh, with Clay Helton's staff. There's a bunch of guys that aren't very interested in recruiting, I guess you could say. So it, it kind of relies on – you're relying on some some key people that are very good at it, um, and they've they, – this and to, you know, to give credit to Clay Helton's staff, they've closed really well every signing day. If there's 50-50 guys that are five-star that like – you, the fans would be super upset if, if USC didn't get them. They get them. Uh, they close really well. So I think it's more about it's just less dudes that can go around the country. And they'll they'll hit their spots. But I think they're focusing a lot on the Western region now. Specifically for linemen, they've been bringing in. I mean, they got a, I think there's like 15 or 16 offensive linemen. They're all four or five-star guys. They're really deep there. If you look at the defensive line this year, they got some veterans, you know, older senior guys. But um, three or four, like, you know, freshmen or redshirt freshmen, uh, that look really good. So I, I think they've been doing a pretty good job of that, uh, as far as the four and, you know, five star linemen go. Um, and, you know, I, I think getting guys from out of the region can be, you know, a little tougher at times. And you, you make a run at someone and they get homesick or whatever and they don't make it. USC's had brought out guys from the East Coast and then they end up getting homesick and transfer out. We just heard about Jamel Cook, who's a former four star safety from Miami. Uh, looks like he's going to enroll at South Carolina now. So that happens a lot. Um, so I, I think they still do recruit those regions, maybe just not as hard as Pete Carroll did, and probably because there's just less guys on staff. They have really good recruiters on staff, but not as many of them as they did with Carroll. Right. And I think that's it. I think because Nick wrote nope, in too. But we, we got we got a new one. Oh, we do. Oh, yeah. 
Here, I can, I can, I can read it. Okay. This is from Jeff, the USC class of 1994. I don't know why I did that. Pac-12 communism. Ryan, I'm a big USC fan and obviously listen to all of your USC podcasts. And Dave, I don't listen to any of your Bruin crud, but I will give you your standard greeting. You suck. I hate you. Wow. Wow. You know, I respect it. Um, I have found this podcast more entertaining than I ever thought I would. You guys do a great job providing us with the current event, current, current events. I was going to say current events. That's Southern. What, what is happening at this stage of this podcast? You're becoming an Atlantean. Oh, wow. Uh, current events going on in the PAC 12, more so than the 28 channels of the actual PAC 12 network. <laughs> do they even provide any news besides the scrolling headlines I see while watching endless USC football game replays? No. Uh, After watching the absolute garbage coverage of the Pac-12 Media Day, I wanted to vent about how much the Pac-12 sucks. Our crappy commissioner spoke during the Media Day event, and the network didn't even think to televise his speech, or was it so crappy, like everything else they do, that they didn't want to show it? Working for the Pac-12 is like my dream job. Get paid huge amounts of money to sit around all day in my expensive office doing nothing. So Larry is looking to establish communism, or I mean balance, in the Pac-12. Since they can't get the Oregon States up to the USC, Washington, Stanford levels, they had to bring the top teams down to the bottom level teams. Congratulations, Larry. Like communism, we all equally suck now. Also like communism, the people in charge pay themselves huge amounts of money and spend it on expensive, elaborate offices. I think he's mixing up communism and capitalism there. Oh, and they also demand that they have full control of their media outlets. So for you Tide Pod-eating millennials screaming for communism, (laughs) here it is. Everyone sucks equally. The people in charge pay themselves excessively, and the media is completely owned and controlled with limited info lacking anything that the people want. Pac-12, the network of communism. Jeff. You know what I'd like to see Jeff do? What? Define communism. Because yes. a lot of the things he's describing. Oh, come on, Dave. Don't do this. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I, people I've been paying to... themselves huge amounts of money who are in charge. Under what system do our CEOs get paid 1,000 times the average worker? Right. Because I, I have a theory. But you can become a CEO in this in capitalism, where in communism. Well, if you if you if you put enough capitalists against the wall, then you can uh, become a CEO in the communist system as well. <laughs> if we learn nothing from the Russian Revolution, um, okay, I, I, so, see, I love these kind of analogies. I know that you're going to have there. You know, we don't want to get political and everything, stuff, but there's going to be some some issues there. But it's hilarious. Like I went, I I went to Germany in '93 after I graduated from from college and to go to Berlin and to see the East side and to see the West side basically is like, okay, here's 50 years or whatever, or 40 years of, of communism in this city and then capitalism on the other side and how dilapidated everything was on the communism side and on the capitalistic side, how, you know, the democratic side, it was so much better. So uh, it's, I find that stuff funny. And I think there's elements of that. I'm I'm not saying it's exactly, but I do feel like what Jeff's saying, there's elements of that where you're trying, maybe it's more of a socialism kind of thing. You'd rather keep everyone equal as opposed to allowing, if you're the SEC, do you try to pave a path for Alabama to make the playoff? Like you would, I think the SEC would rather do that. Where in the Pac-12. Right. They would, they would rather act as a collective, you mean. Like they would, they would like the collectivization of their resources to push forward one who could maybe be elite. Is that what you're trying to tell me? No, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a collective. 
They were saying a collective, a collective effort for the common good. Is that what you're? Because that's what I'm hearing. They're saying. Are you are you brandishing a hammer and sickle right now, Ryan? If you're Jeff Bezos or whatever, and you make Amazon amazing, we're not going to like put so much red tape in front of you that they're allowing other Amazons to propagate and be. No, almost no, as we'll good just allow you. you to acquire one trillion dollars. Yes. One trillion. He's going to hit that number at some point. <laughs> it's disgusting. Right. Anyway. But that's then you win championships. That's I, I buy everything. Someone asked me, where was I? I was uh I think we were at the beach last night and someone asked, Oh, where'd you get that? I'm like, uh, where do I get anything? I got it on Amazon, you know, like that's where I bought it from. What, what's the most popular sport in the uh in, in the nation right now? The uh, NFL? NFL. Is that, yeah. is that still the one? Is that the one with the uh incredibly hard salary cap where everyone has to pay the players the exact same amount <laughs> and it's all completely completely equalized so there's parity across the board because that's the best product yes is that the one i'm thinking of it still doesn't there's some parity but they're still seeing the best organizations are still thriving right even if you set certain factors as completely equal like say the revenue and money some organizations can thrive over others even in that system that's highly structured and you know how they do that they treat the the individuals poorly so the Patriots will cut you at the moment's notice. Uh, this is my most enjoyable conversation. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, but you see what Jeff's point is, though, right? Like, it's more of a, he's saying the Pac-12 is trying to, like, make it an even playing field for everyone, where if you look at the Big Ten or the SEC, they would more, they would rather a team make the playoff. And we asked so that was my question to Larry Scott, I think, last year at, at the Pac-12 championship game. I was still in the press box, but I had um, Dan Weber, my beat writer, ask him that for me. And he, he, that's what he said. He would, rather, he would rather a parody than he would have a playoff. And I think in this age, you, would ra- you, you don't want to hurt the Oregon States. You don't want to hurt teams, but you all, you'd, you'd rather have a team make the playoffs. So whatever you need to do to not inhibit them from doing that, that's all I would say. Yeah, I think it's um, from your perspective as a person who covers USC, it's probably different uh, from the perspective of somebody who's maybe like an Oregon State person Um, because they're going to push for, you know, wanting to get up to the level where they're in parity with everyone else. Um, USC, Washington, teams with like probably more realistic playoff aspirations obviously would not prefer that. Um, But I think from Larry Scott's perspective, and I don't know what the SEC commissioner would say, I think... With the SEC, it's such a foregone conclusion that at least one and maybe two teams are going to make the playoff every single year that I don't even think it's like they're not. I mean, yeah, they position Alabama a little bit for the playoff, but Alabama does a pretty good job of positioning itself. Yeah, they, but they, they don't. But they're not going to put. I'm sorry, they're not going to put Alabama in a spot where they don't have a bye they're week. Not do the Friday stuff, and I right. don't think. But here's the thing. I don't think the Pac-12 is doing that for parity's purpose. I think the Pac-12 is doing that because it's a really poorly run organization. Like, I think that's just they, they weren't really thinking about the schedule very hard right. going into that season. They fixed some of the issues heading into this one, but it's still not great. But I think that was more just incompetence rather than them having actual a grand plan for bringing everyone to a like to a, like an eight and four. Level. Like, I don't <laughs> think that's the I don't think they have a working plan for that sort of thing. I think it's more how do we maximize TV revenue so that the you know university presidents stop yelling at us. Yeah, I, I think um, it's priority. There's priorities, and I think if you, I think Wilner sent out a, a tweet or something about 
And and this is what something that Larry Scott said at Pac-12 Media Day. They want to put more of an emphasis on college football. And that's where the incompetence comes in. As soon as the SEC knew, like, yeah, they want to have softball winning softball teams. They want to have, and they're getting more of those. They're they're gaining on the Pac-12 as far as those other sports, but they did it by prioritizing college football. They knew that from the beginning and making sure they tried to game the system however they could to make have teams make the playoffs, have teams make the championship games. And that's never been a priority for the Pac-12 where, you know, if you look back, if that's something you focused on, would you say, okay, well, it's going to hurt Oregon State if Washington and USC or UCLA, whoever it is, they're making these runs all the time at the playoffs. I think it actually helps Oregon State if you look at it from a different way. Now, maybe it's harder for them to kind of rise from the asses and uh, ashes, asses, ashes. <laughs> we had to sneak one in. Sorry, Bernie. That was <laughs> that was a slip. But, you know, to allow a team like that to, you know, I think you can make, it's like one of those rising tides, you know, lift all boats sort of thing. I think that's something the SEC knew from the SEC knew from the very beginning. This is what we have to focus on. And the Pac-12 just now is saying, you know, 20 years later, post-BCS, yeah, you know, we should probably focus on college football, which is absolutely baffling since that's the sport that gets you the prestige and makes you the money and all of that. And I think, to Jeff's point, it's just not something that the Pac-12 has put a priority on. And now I think they're figuring that out. You know, we have to do it. When, when the SEC Network went on the air, the day it went on the air, they made sure, the first thing they did was, there's going to be one game from every team, from Alabama to Vanderbilt, will be on the air. So they would go out. They knew that that would force their fans to go out and complain to every cable provider, make sure we get the SEC network. Yes, it's a different everything, but that was their mindset going into it. They had a plan to make sure this was going to be carried by everybody. So I just think that they did it a lot better than the Pac-12 and you know, maybe this is a little too late. I love that they're going to go out on the road and do game day kind of stuff. But to only think that now is the time we need to focus on college football more is is baffling to me. Yeah, they're dopey. It's great. <laughs> it's great. I, I kind of so like a sick part of me enjoys that like we we cover teams and have gone to schools in like just the dopiest league. Like just they're such dopes. <laughs> And it's great, and they always have been, too. It's like Larry Scott, whatever. Tom Hansen was the exact same way. It's like they all have this, like, really elitist sense, and it's it's almost admirable in a sense, right? Where they're like, oh, we're not going to we're not gonna mess around with things like revenue. <laughs> Who needs money? We're going we're gonna to show you all of the men's badminton you could want. And it's just like, okay, well, all right, that's a decision. It's not one that, like, anybody else would make, but, okay, you've made that decision. And it's such, like, you know, the Big Ten gets credit for its academics, and it's, like, the Pac-12 is the true league of the snooty academics. Like, it's, I I think, uh, one of my favorite uh, podcasts, the Shutdown Fullcast, definitively proved that ASU, by most academic rankings, which is acknowledged to be, like, you know, bottom third of the Pac-12 in terms of academics, somewhere in that range, I'm not going to try to insult you know, ASU fans, maybe bottom half, whatever, that it's better than like nine of the 16 big 10 teams, like in terms of <laughs> academic profile. And it's just, this is the league of snooty academics. And I think at the highest levels at the team president at the university president levels, but even trickling down to some of these ADs, I think they're just kind of above it all. And it's, it's, it's almost admirable. It's almost admirable for us. It's annoying and frustrating that, 
you know, we cover this sport and the Pac-12 seems, you know, at times particularly disinterested in the actual maintenance of that sport. <laughs> um, but it does add a little bit to the like, I don't know, the, the conference image, I think, that it's just so arrogant about this stuff as if it doesn't matter that it's it's almost it's almost refreshing in today's age and you know the baffling part and obviously we're here because we love college football we love covering it we you know it's just fun oh absolutely despite what dave said earlier about the recruiting coverage and stuff you know we love that's i mean let's let's but let's be honest that's horrible (laughs) it's not there's a reason there's a reason why you get gerard to do that yes i don't have to do that stuff (laughs) But um, which is, you know, I do some, but I don't get like super involved. And uh, but I think when you look at, um, you know, not at graduation rates, but admission, uh, you know, the number of uh, admissions that a that a program gets, that a, a university gets, and you look at like when Oregon State in two thousand, like guaranteed the next couple years, uh, number of applicants coming in went way up, you know, and I think. You saw, you know, when USC was making that run, when I was in school and the riots happened, like, you know, applications dropped tremendously because the, the the everything around USC burned when I was in school because of the LA riots, you know. But when they're going on national title runs, it goes way up. And I think, you know, you can have, they had some good university presidents that came in, well, guys that left, but they, they, they kind of changed the narrative. I think President Sample tried to do that a lot and to make it more of like a top 30 university, which I think they've done. Uh, but, you know, having a great football team helps that. I think, you know, Alabama, Georgia, you're going to get a lot more applications. And so maybe it wasn't the the highest ranked academic school at one point or isn't. But when you get a lot more applications, you can be a little bit more picky and, and you can move up the rankings. So I think football helps all that kind of stuff. And it sucks when you see there's like that elitist attitude you said from the president's. But if you have a good football team, it's going to help everything. It's really, it's such, you know, such a big money maker. Does it compare to some donor coming in and, and offering a hundred million dollars to build a building? No, but overall you help the whole health of the university. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're making a compelling case. I'm just saying the fact 12 clearly doesn't agree <laughs> and it's wonderful. Love it. It's beautiful. That's kind of why we do this. All right. Yep. Well, it's getting late. I mean, we, ugh, I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go to football practice, Dave, and go stand out in the sun. Is it hot I there? Find, hot there in Atlanta? It's hot here in LA. It is hotter than anything. It is so humid. Yeah. And hot, but at least the entire state isn't burning down. That's so. Good. We we are, yeah, we hopefully. have a lot of humidity here too. Um. So it's it's a lot more humid than it normally is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But good stuff. Hey, this was a great show. So it was great. It was wonderful. Yeah. It was my favorite in a while. Very good. And uh, yeah, well, good. thanks for that last one, Jeff. We went a little bit. I probably added like a half an hour to the podcast. Don't you think? Like, no, I love going <laughs> off the rails. It's the best. It's the best part. Sweet. All right. Well, that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Uh, we got, what do we got? Uh, eight of the, the 12 schools down. So we still got the Oregon schools. Yeah, we and- actually, it turns out that we actually timed this perfectly. Because we're going to do Oregon next week, and then we're going to do Washington the week after, and then it's actually just before the start of the season, and we get to do our season preview with our predictions and stuff. I love it. That's going to be great. Yeah. So I'm getting everything ready. Dave's getting everything ready. We're going to come out with some really horrible opinions and throw them at you later, because <laughs> uh, that's what we do. And uh, you know, get your get your bookies ready. We're going to make our picks. Um, hopefully, we have more like 2016 than we were in 2017, but still still above 500, which is good. Uh, All right, that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in to the Podcast of Champions, and we will talk to you next time.